This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, April 7th, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family still celebrating the launch of the MyPillow version 2.0. If you're more of a... uh, dog comfort person you can get a my dog bed a couple pairs of the air lindells the my slippers and giza dream everything when you enter promo code stake at checkout if you want some coffee they've launched the my coffee products it's available in the bean the bag and the pod you enter promo code stake here you're getting 25 off your order 50 off when you make it a monthly subscription mypillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep related if you want the coffee my store.com forward slash stake or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative 1-800-658-8045 the top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, hosting the indictment after party, get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Instagram, find them on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Stake for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that will take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social, welcome, Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 228. I'm Roan, Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's going to be joining us just a bit. Alan Jacoby's going to be sitting third chair. Guys, we're talking Trump indictment. We're talking the new Afghanistan report. Tom Holman, Lexus Wilkins, Colonel Doug McGregor are all going to be here. Tons of news. Happy Friday. Happy Good Friday. Happy Passover. Let's jump right into it. All right, this is our big Friday edition of the show here, and this is Steak for Breakfast. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. So on our Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast, we saw Donald Trump going through the motions. There was the brief perf walk, the Rachel Maddow refusing to have her show interrupted with his court appearance, and uh, all the things surrounding his indictment. We're going to kind of try to uh, re-unpack that, guys, for you and walk you all through it. But uh, before we get into any of that, besides me and Noah today, we're going to be joined by... Alan Jacoby was claiming third chair. Got bumped to fourth. That's fine because Antoinette's back. Antoinette, welcome back to the show. You've been out for a little bit while dealing with some uh, health stuff at home, but we're so happy that you're able to join us on this Friday edition of the show. Why don't you let everybody hear your voice for the first time in a minute? Hi, everybody. I'm happy to be back. I missed my friends here at Steak for Breakfast. Hello, Alan. 
Hey, Antoinette, I am so happy that now I am fourth chair because I, I would give up my chair to <laughs> Antoinette anytime. Just happy to hear your voice. Well, oh. I just imagine if the studio was full because we have six chairs in the studio. So you would actually technically be like eighth chair. Ooh, I would. That would be cool. Yeah. I don't mind. I'd sit it. on the floor for you guys. No. <laughs> I mean, I have other chairs. <laughs> Come on. We're not that kind of a podcast. <laughs> No, but getting back to this this Trump <laughs> indictment thing, you know, it, we kind of saw the way it went down uh, on Tuesday. We're also going to, in our next uh, news segment, be touching on the first ever presidential indictment after party, which Donald Trump hosted. A lot of people said it was just going to be a speaking event. It was nothing such. It was complete dinner, packed ballroom, and, and a lot of the Donald Trump that we've come to know and love. What was on the menu? A lot of America first. Nice. And with a little bit of uh, nation in decline as the side dish. Um, but uh, yeah, so. I don't, think, I don't think anybody picked that one. No. Choices. That's the uh, Joe Biden ice cream special. Do you want the veal or the American decline? Right. I'm going to go with the veal. Steak for breakfast enjoyer. Guest on our upcoming Tuesday edition of the show, Trump attorney Alina Habba jumped on with Tucker Carlson shortly after Donald Trump left the Manhattan District Court to talk about the charges or lack thereof we saw when the indictment was unsealed let's hear it so unless we're misreading this the actual crime is not listed in the indictment how can that be it's unreal honestly tucker let's talk about what we can see in the indictment which is the years and the dates and i'm no 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 crazy uh, uh, brilliant human being but i'm pretty sure i know how to read a calendar so we have dates going in february 2017 for a few months there where was president trump in february 2017 in the Oval Office, hmm. okay? So what they're saying is How there convenient. were checks written to his former lawyer while he was in the Oval Office. That's in Washington, D.C. So just on its face, what we do know from this, what he failed to put in was any factual basis, of course, as you pointed out. But what we do know, Tucker, is that... He was sitting in the Oval Office. Now, explain to me how that's campaign finance interference, how that affected the election when everyone knew about Stormy in 2016. It makes no sense on its face, which is probably why it's intentionally she vague. She said it. Mm. Well, sure. I mean, do companies commit federal crimes when they have their employees sign non-disclosure agreements? <laughs> As every single one of them does every single day? Probably not. Look, if Trump had committed a crime and they were alleging it, I would not defend him. If he was caught bribing someone or hurting someone or stealing money. But this is doesn't even approach the appearance of a crime, which is the scariest part. This is just election interference. Am I missing something? No, you're not missing anything. And by the way, in order to have an effective NDA, you should probably have some consideration, which is called money, right? So for the, well, all the non-lawyers, yeah. we do this <laughs> right. all the time. We do yeah. this all the time. And when you have somebody extorting you, which Mark Pomerantz said in his book he believed this to be, and I recommend that you all take a close look at that, he lays this out. We had Michael Cohen, who was a convicted felon and liar who was afraid of what was going to happen to his wife. We have Mark Pomerantz admitting that they couldn't bring charges. Neither could the FEC, who regulates this. <laughs> Alvin Bragg stood up today and said he was bringing a state federal crime. That doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It's federal crime, right. not a state crime. It's it's crazy. And to hear it on NBC News today, MSNBC, with this hush money. Really, how many women alleging sexual harassment or assault has NBC News paid off this year? <laughs> I mean, spare. <laughs> 
please. I used to work there. Alina Haba, oh, great to see yeah. you today. Thank you so much. You know, how, how many uh, women have Congress paid off since Donald Trump's been in office with hush money for, you know, the uh, alleged sexual misconduct and, and sexual harassment and things like that? They do reports on that kind of stuff every year, and it's, it's in the millions. Um, not only that, but we did see, our, obviously, our, our two-tier broken justice system at work, uh, which went under the radar, reported here. Very few other outlets even mentioned it, but Hillary Clinton was fined uh, some bullshit sum of money for financing the Steele dossier with personal campaign funds and DNC money uh, during the 2016 general election cycle. So, you know, the biggest thing was... Uh, Alan, and I know you were harping on this uh, offline, we've talked about it a couple times, was the lack of crime that we saw when the indictment was unsealed. They basically, you know, read a uh, Xerox copy of, of one obscure charge over and over again. Um, yeah. what, what, what are you seeing? And uh, what was the biggest frustration part for you watching that whole thing go down? I mean, obviously, the biggest frustration was just to see how a city that Donald Trump has done so much for treat this man uh, like a, a, a two bit criminal, which he is not. And they listen, Alvin Bragg, fat Alvin Bragg ran, ran on the platform that he was going to get Donald Trump. And so did Letitia James, the attorney general that yep. they campaigned on it. There are so many podcasts out there on major shows. They were going to get Donald Trump and obviously Soros funded Alvin Bragg, uh, was able to concoct this ridiculous uh, grand jury indictment out of thin air. There is nothing there. Uh, process crime, if that, but that doesn't even seem like it's working because as Donald Trump's attorney just said in the, in the feed, the timeline doesn't even work. He was in the Oval Office in 2017, so he was not trying to influence his election in 2017 when he was already the president in 2016. None of it makes sense. And what's great, guys and, and, and gal, is that there are people, there are Democrats in New York. I was in downtown Manhattan on Tuesday, the day of the indictment, and I spoke to a lot of people. I was with the New York Young Republican Club, the great patriots like uh, Gavin Wax, Wax and, and Vish Burra. And I was talking to people who said to me, I am not a fan of Donald Trump, but what they are doing to him is unbelievably wrong. He did nothing wrong. This horse-faced porn star has already admitted several times that there was no affair, no affair whatsoever. And she's out here doing all of these interviews and now is going to grift off of this great American Donald Trump's nonsense political prosecution. It, it, it's nonsense. And yes, you're, you're supposed to. I'm not a lawyer, but from what I understand, is there is supposed to be mention of the crime this, the the actual crime in the indictment. And there's none of that. And if anybody didn't notice, they pulled the text of the indictment off of the Manhattan District Attorney's website. Yep. And I have a feeling and other people, other legal minds have a feeling is that uh, one, I think the indictment is going to be recalled. I don't think it'll ever see a, a trial and it, it's going to be gone before it actually becomes anything.
Nice. And it was awesome that you were there. You gave me some live reports. You sent a funny picture of uh, you <laughs> behind Marjorie Taylor Greene while she was speaking as well. But listen, as a once-in-a-lifetime event for you to uh, be at, and it was pretty awesome that you were able to uh, talk about it a little bit. Of course, you you also had mentioned the, the crime or lack thereof that was read in court over and over again, 34 felony counts of falsifying business records in the first degree or whatever that means and, and what the actual crime behind those falsification of business records are that elevates it to the felony they're trying to convict Donald Trump on a fake charge of. So doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's literally yeah. where we're at with this case. They're looking to come back uh, at some time in early December and get this thing kicked off in, in January, which is, you know, going to be right at the uh, meat and potatoes portion of the presidential primary season and uh, just a big friggin' distraction. This this was one of the less, last-ditch attempt to publicly embarrass Donald Trump, the person, and demoralize his base, uh, the voters, and uh, try to intimidate the people who are closest to him. A lot of the ones that are experiencing and, and are going through lawfare, uh, like Weisselman, Steve Bannon, Peter Navarro, uh, Christina Bob, Cash Patel, Devin Nunes is always suing people and getting countersued for you know things related to his time when he was up on Capitol Hill as well. And, and there's so many more. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's just a shame to how we have devolved into this garbage can of a country to where, you know, w once you get to this point with uh, persecuting and trying to prosecute uh, former and current political candidates, uh, just because you don't agree with their narrative and you're terrified of their base, the fact that they could retain power again. This is continued revenge for 2016. They never thought they were going to lose. Uh, you know, you, you we talked about Nancy Pelosi and, and Hillary Clinton doing like a tandem town hall, uh, small tour across the country right now. And they still talk about it like it bothers them 24 hours a day and they see Donald Trump in their nightmares when they both sleep, literally. <laughs> like they still call him a Russian asset. They still call him an illegitimate president. They still say he used voter fraud to obtain the Oval Office and that he was the most uh, bigoted, racist, misogynist, awful person while he was in office. Meanwhile, you walk out your front door, and if you don't immediately get mugged and or killed, you're broken working three jobs. I saw the Biden administration today was celebrating uh, increased job numbers. Like, I guess a half a million jobs uh, were added over the course of the last month, which was uh, goes off of February's all-time record for job participation, over 160 million people in the United States right now. But those numbers don't tell the truth. The economy is so bad, most people were working two and three jobs just to make ends meet, and a lot of people are losing their homes pulling their kids out of sports and activities, can't pay the bills. You know, the Biden administration celebrating the uh, best and brightest job market in the history of the world because inflation is, uh, again, nearly 7% mm. uh, nationwide and, and, and nearly 15% in states where we're at out here in California and places like where Alan's at in uh, New York. Uh, Antoinette's are also experiencing some extremely high inflation in Nevada as well, which is definitely out of the norm, as we talked about with Adam Laxalt during the course of his senatorial campaign during the 2022 general election cycle. Nevada was never a top five state for unemployment, gas prices, and inflation, but this Biden economy has uh, pulled them into it. So let's hear from Alan Bragg. He, he gave him a little press conference following the indictment and arraignment. Let's hear it. Returned by a Manhattan grand jury on 34 felony counts of falsifying business records in the first degree. Under New York state law, it is a felony to falsify business records with intent to defraud and an intent to conceal another crime. What crime? That is exactly what this case is about. 34 false statements made to cover up 
other crimes. These are felony who, crimes in New York State. No matter who you are, we cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. Oh gosh. You do that every day, Fat Alvin. Mm. Every yeah. day. When someone's stabbed in broad daylight at an ATM machine and that person's let out in yeah. time for dinner, you do it every day. And, and who did he defraud? We can't miss who dinner. Who did he defraud? Unbelievable. Now, Antoinette, I know you were bothered, I mean, by the totality of the circumstances, but the fact that, you know, the former president of the United States uh, was dragged up to this courthouse, perp walked, albeit for an extremely short distance. It wasn't down a long hallway. It was just through a small corridor between offices where he was fingerprinted and then brought into the courtroom for his arraignment. And then, you know, the, the pictures came out, but... How are you feeling watching this whole thing? Is obviously a potential voter, someone who's you know been a part of this podcast team for a long time, and uh, you know all the stuff we represent and the people who we constantly bring on this show to see that kind of uh, you know public display of embarrassment by the left to someone who's held the highest office in probably the world. You know, I really didn't watch much of it because it, it bothered me for one and two. I just to me it's. You know, it's ridiculous and it's a shame that they're going this far. But in the end, I think it's going to end up biting them in the ass because they just opened up a big can of worms. It, I mean, this is political persecution. They have nothing on him. I don't think anything is going to come of it. It's just it's just a distraction and just to try to make him look bad. And I think he gained more more followers and more more voter, voters, to be fair. And I think that this kind of helped him surely get elected in 2024 in my opinion because people are sick of this shit unless they can successfully drag him through the legal system long enough where it invalidates his potential run well, which I, I don't, don't really see that happening no. i can't see that they have anything at all for that to happen you know worst thing they're going to do is waste everybody's time and come up with nothing yeah i mean but we live in such a asinine society right now it's like you you almost wouldn't be surprised like oh they put him in put him right. in jail for life huh you know, you know what's important, guys, and and Rowan, you and I talk about this all the time because one, I I wouldn't say it's working against Trump because it's not. I think it's it's galvanizing the base. This indictment. I mean, and, I I I wanted him to take a legit mugshot and sell it on his website, sign copies what? of it, you know. But like, then we take we take a Twitterverse and we take the DeSantis uh, social media influencer industrial complex and how they're hammering these people that grifted off Donald Trump are now hammering Donald Trump because oh well, you know. I know one candidate that didn't get indicted, you know, and a candidate that didn't even announce. And I think it's important, especially for everybody listening out there that are on Twitter and following Steak for Breakfast and, and, and things like that is, listen, speak up. If you're supporting Donald Trump, it's important for people to see that. It may not sound like it's important for people to see that on Twitter, but it is because there are all of these bot accounts and paid influence accounts that are going to use this and other things against Donald Trump to try to sway it. And if you think that social media is not important in elections, well, then you have another thing coming. And unfortunately, the go back to the grifters like Jebba Ellis herself, who <laughs> I've been hammering, who I complete is a complete useless, irrelevant grifter. And won't come on the show. And won't come on. No, won't come on. She, well, of course she won't come on the show. She, no, I'm not a registered Republican and I'm going to listen. She is a phony and I say it every time. The only reason she is where she is is because of the Trump name. She was his attorney. She grifted, got a cringy podcast, and now she's out there like holier than thou with her fake Christian values. And look at me and literally calling Trump voters 
low IQ individuals. Yep. Jenna Jebba Ellis, who who served with Giuliani as 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 Trump's counsel, is calling all of you people out there low IQ individuals. That's it. That right there. I always had a bad feeling about her. She just always rubbed me the wrong way. I knew she was going to end up being like, you know, showing her true colors. Yeah. Becoming Garbage. Well, you know, who's usually showing his true colors, especially in regards to commenting on the 45th president of the United States is uh, 2024. We'll still call him a hopeful uh, John Bolton, who was sitting <laughs> in live uh, on, on a CNN in-studio panel commenting on the arraignment and was big sad when he heard the charges during the arraignment. Let's hear him cry a little bit. One big picture. What do you think of the indictment? Well, speaking as someone who very strongly does not want Donald Trump to get the Republican presidential nomination, I'm extraordinarily Shocker. distressed by this document. I think this is even weaker than I feared it would be. Mm. Uh, and I, I think uh, it's, it's easily subject to being dismissed or a, a, a quick acquittal for Trump. Just speaking, going back to the days when I represented Jim Buckley and Gene McCarthy and the constitutional challenge to the underlying federal statute here passed in 1974, I can say there is no basis in the statutory language to say that Trump's behavior forms either a contribution or an expenditure under federal law, the two key definitions at issue here. Uh, if it did, it would mean that every single expenditure a candidate made could be taken to have uh, something to do with his campaign. Do I buy a $1 comb to comb my hair or a $10 comb to comb my hair? Uh, if, if you can construe the statute to cover this behavior, then I think it violates the First Amendment because you're deeply into territory that, that uh, makes this statute absolutely, federal statute, too vague for enforcement. And as what I understood the district attorney to say that he thinks there's a New York election law involved here, all I can say is the Federal Election Campaign Act absolutely preempts any state or local law to the contrary. How could it be otherwise? You've got one law governing corporate finance in a presidential election at the federal level. You're going to have 50 state laws interfering with it. So he's just wrong on the applicability of the New York statute. Yeah, it doesn't look so good for uh, Fat Alvin Bragg right now. Mm. And uh that, that was probably the most skewed way that someone who hates Donald Trump as much as John Bolton does to say nice-ish things about him <laughs> uh, on an opposition network like CNN you could probably get a delivery of. It's going to be interesting to hear what uh, former Trump acting ICE director Tom Homan, who's going to be joining us in just a minute, has to say about this because, you know, he spends a lot of time with the president. He's getting ready to do another big event down at Mar-a-Lago in, in the next week, so we'll be hearing from him. But uh, House Republicans... Stumped. Kevin McCarthy made a couple comments, and, and you saw some of them out there uh, early. Uh, Jim Jordan, especially, who leads the judiciary in the House, saying that they're going to investigate just exactly what methods, what communications between maybe the U.S. Department of Justice, the Biden White House. They're talking about personal cell phones, personal laptops. They want to make sure that this isn't being directed from the Biden administration. Like a lot of people are are accusing. You know, this this of happening because we're not done with this bullshit yet. We're going to see the same stuff in Georgia, even though you've had some of the best in the game from a legal sense. Like Alan Dershowitz say, there's absolutely nothing there. Saying, find me 12,000 votes in the in the Georgia election call case when the transcript's been available to the American public for now two and a half years uh, can mean so many different things. You're not going to be able to tie like a felony conviction charge to it. 
And, and then you have the stuff regarding like the January 6th committee referrals. Like, listen, Donald Trump's tweets and videos pretty much exonerate him from, you know, being convicted of any crime. Someone's opinion is not the application of law, especially at a federal level. And, and you know, Marching on down to the Capitol to say peacefully and, and protesting your voices to be heard and then telling everybody to go home when, when shit went sideways on January 6th, if they think they're going to get some kind of a big conviction like that and put Donald Trump in prison, they got another thing coming. So, But that doesn't mean that he's not going to be dragged in and out of court, fingerprinted again, maybe taken a mug shot in, in, in some of these other cases. The mug shot would be such a bad call for them to, to allow to happen. It would just be an iconic. It'd be, it'd be more iconic than the Johnny Cash flipping off the camera. Yeah, but the, absolutely. This is, a absolutely. Re, this is a really bad dry run for what potentially could happen, but do they have to see that it's backfiring and just, you know— Less than 72 hours since the Donald Trump was sitting in court, they've raised over $11 million. Uh, they've had so many of those people giving donations as first-time, small-amount donors, and they've gotten close to 50,000 volunteers for the 2024 presidential campaign. So, you know, I, I don't know what the, the thing is here, aside from, like, the optics of it and showing people that no one is safe. And, and listen, we might not be able to pin Donald Trump, but we'll get every single one of his underlings when they go back to the private sector when he's done in politics, which is something that a lot of people have yeah. to i mean look at what happened to the trump cfo that's sitting on rikers island right now and uh they they very much so could do that because listen they could say oh yeah we want to see your tax records for the last 20 years you're telling me that someone who runs a company as big as like trump inc isn't going to have one fuck up in 20 years of filing taxes as like the cfo and then they're going to put you in jail for it for 90 days when you're in your 70s it's ridiculous and it doesn't even have to be big it is it doesn't even have to be big multi-million dollar companies no you know, i I run three businesses and I sometimes tell you that there's a hiccup. There's a mistake. It has to be it has to be taken care of. And if you don't, oh, well, they're going to come after me. And and it's scary sometimes like, oh, you have to walk on eggshells around the federal and, and, and state government as far as, as taxes go, depending on where you are. And it's uh, it's disheartening sometimes, too, because, you know, it's 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 theft anyway. You know, we <laughs> they they. They, if we don't give them a third of our income, they will threaten to cage us at gunpoint. And if you if you're going to tell me that's not theft, I don't know what is. Hmm. And just one other thing: when is Alvin Bragg going to start? You know, falsify the falsifying of business records. So when is he going to start uh, indicting people that are that are are backdating checks? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a great point right there. Give and, me a break. Well, I tell you what: the House Judiciary Committee is going to be looking into it. I saw Jeff Van Drew was on Fox Sunday Morning. Uh, he's a representative out of the state of New Jersey and, and sits on the committee. Let's hear him talking about what the next two weeks are going to look like for Bragg. Uh, that's what I mean. I don't understand why you and your colleagues are weighing it. Um, you know, you say we're seriously weighing this. Uh, you know, in the meantime, as you you all discuss weighing this, uh, President Trump was fingerprinted and got a mugshot, and is now has an arrest on his record. Maria's always. Let me tell you, my votes for for going right ahead and doing it. I mean, obviously, when will we know? When will the weighing period end? When will we know if you're going to subpoena? I think relatively soon. I I, I would think within a week to ten days, um, we're we're certainly going to be there. You know, now you have the Easter holiday, so you're Mm. you're not going to know within the next few days. But without a doubt, um, this is something we should do. And I want to emphasize again, Maria, it is important. I spoke to a group last night. We have to play as hard and work as hard 
you know, yeah. as they do. And they, they really, obviously, when you have a local prosecutor, think how perverse this is, yeah. in a local town, which is still all New York is, go after a president of the United States over something that really doesn't exist. Mm. Uh, it's time to get serious. Uh- so, you know, with the Easter holiday and with Passover going on right now, we're looking at the next seven to ten days for Alvin Bragg to be subpoenaed. I have heard Jim Jordan, James Comer, Matt Gates making the run. I just didn't think we needed to include it, so I'll just give our listenership an update. To make it not seem as there's going to be any congressional intimidation and to not have Bragg's office, Letitia James' bigger office, say that they're trying to interfere in the case. Uh, you'll probably have people from the Judiciary Committee going up to New York and not dragging him down to Capitol Hill because they're going to say this is like trying to intimidate him. They're meddling in an ongoing legal proceeding and this, that, and the other thing. So they're going to play it smart, but I do feel like they're going to get to the bottom of this. And I would probably bet the farm that people from the Justice Department, uh, people within the you know, Department of Homeland Security, probably the FBI, and people that are connected to the immediate uh, orbit of the Biden White House have their tentacles in this. And, uh, you know, we're just going to have to continue to track it moving forward. Um, I did mention Tom Holman's coming up in a minute. Also, very important, guys, wherever you're listening today, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeart, Podbean, listen, make sure you're subscribed to the show. It helps us get into the uh better algorithms we come up with suggestions the more subscribers we've had we've had a lot of new listeners and subscribers come in in the last couple weeks we really appreciate that and then across all social medias instagram uh getter twitter and truth social just type in steak for records podcast follow the show hit the notification bell and everything that we're dishing out will then be delivered to you we didn't get and i thought it was one of the biggest surprise any kind of uh well response from the biden white house KGP wasn't really too keen to answer any questions during the White House press conference. And apparently Joe Biden wanted to, uh, no, you won't be surprised like this, put a lid on it early. Mm. Um, Peter Ducey was on the lawn of the White House giving an update right after the Bidens put a lid on it. Let's hear them. Martha, we are all out of chances to potentially hear from President Biden about what's happening in Manhattan because uh, the White House called a lid at 3.12 p.m. That means no more events with the president where uh, somebody could shout a question. A few minutes ago, he was meeting with his science and technology advisors about artificial intelligence. There was some shouting at the end. He did not answer anything about this or about the detained Wall Street Journal reporter, which is what reporters were asking about. There has been some chatter in town in the last couple days about the process and about the precedent that this indictment of a former president by a local DA could set. And so that is something that we asked the press secretary about a few minutes ago. Listen here. Is he concerned at all that a local DA indicting a former president could, down the line, open up the possibility, set the precedent, that local DAs that don't like former President Biden could indict him? I'm not going to comment from here. Of course not. Why don't you have more to say about the Trump indictment? It is an ongoing um, case, and I've been very clear about that. We've been prudent about that, not commenting on ongoing cases, and we're going to stick to that. When do you comment and there from were there? Some further questions after that about why they'll talk about uh, January 6th, which is still something that there's ongoing litigation uh, surrounding. And they said that was just 
different. So oh, okay. uh, they are continuing their strategy. It is obviously a deliberate strategy not to talk about this. Uh, and not because uh, of the political angle, but mostly just because it is an ongoing case, Martha. So that was pretty much a clear timeline of the shit show mm. that happened up in New York on Tuesday following the events of our show, which we were bringing you live updates. But like Jay-Z always says, <laughs> after the show, it's the after party. And we'll hear all about that with uh, former acting ICE director under the Trump administration, Tom Holman. But before we key up with him, let's hear from one of our partners. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? Oh. You gotta try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per two ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you'd like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra five bucks off. Buy a 12 pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bills traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. All right, joining us first on the show today, he's the former acting ICE director during the Trump administration, one of our great friends coming back on this big Friday edition of the show, Mr. Tom Holman. Thanks for coming down. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, we, we've heard recently that you've become uh, the CEO of the America Project, and we definitely want to let our listenership in on all the great work that you've been doing uh, outside of your federal service right now, sir. So why don't you let our listenership know what's going on down there? Look, the America Project is something, you know, I'm, I'm busy. I'm busy. So it took a few weeks for me to actually accept uh, their offer to come over and help provide leadership to the America Project. The America Project has been in existence for a couple of years. Um, but I came in to do a couple of things. Number one, to expand what the America Project is, uh, pushing out marketing to let American people know what America Project is, who's involved with the America Project, what we're trying to do, and what's important why it's important to them. And I, I'm really trying to concentrate now since I've been with them is, is, is focused on what we call border 911. We, we, we're going across the country having town hall meetings, having big events. We educate the American people on why the border is so important, why the border issues should be important to them. And the, the main message is, regardless of what your opinion is on illegal migration, regardless of what your opinion is, when you create a crisis as big as they create on the Southwest border, mm -hmm that's taking 70 to 80% agents off the line into processing facilities. That's when the trafficking of women and children increases because they, these, these are groups that, that smugglers don't want to turn over to Border Patrol. So the sex trafficking women and children all time high, the, the smuggling of fentanyl all time high, the, 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 the entry of known suspected terrorists all time high. And this is just not, you know, my opinion. Since Joe Biden's been president, we got over 171 known inspected terrorists that were arrested trying to sneak in the country. Right. We got 1.3 men known gotaways. We talked about the last time. If there's 1.3 million gotaways and border patrol arrest people of 171 different countries and some of the countries sponsored of terrorism, you can't convince anybody that not a single one of that 1.3 million gotaways, the people that didn't want to turn themselves in, aren't from a country sponsoring terrorism. So we're out throughout the country saying, if you care about fentanyl overdoses, if you care about no inspector terrorists coming to the country, if you care about the sex trafficking of women and children, then you need to be concerned with illegal immigration because that's driving all this other stuff. Again, 70 to 80 percent of border patrol agents are no longer on patrol. So, you know, this this immigration issue has, has caused a public safety issue. It's called a, caused a public health issue. And it has, for God's sakes, 
created a national security issue. And I've said this, and I stand by it. What's happening on the southwest border right now is the biggest national security failure this country has seen since 9-11. Yeah. And someday we're going to find out, and it's going to be a bad day for America. So I'm out there to the TAP. We're pushing border 911 to get out there across the country. People need to go to the TAP website, look at the border 911. we got vents playing across the country to educate American people. So when they go to that voting box next year in 2024, I'm not going to tell them who to vote for. But they need to vote for somebody that's committed to securing that border committed to protecting the United States, committed to protecting our sovereignty, because you can't have national security if you don't have border security. So when you go in that voting booth, push the button for the guy who's going to give you border security. I think we know who that is, at least on this show. It's President Trump as he's uh, dominating in the polls following the indictment. Before we get into that, Director, I do want to ask you, you know, this is piggybacking off a lot and, and is uh, definitely the opposite narrative of what we heard up on Capitol Hill last week. I'm pretty sure you were tracking uh, the Senate committee hearing uh, for Alejandro Mayorkas and all of the non-answers, not having the information and denials that he made up there. You saw some pretty heated exchanges between him and people like Mike Lee, obviously Senator Ted Cruz and Senator Kennedy. What can you say about the, you know, is he going to be the sacrificial lamb of this Biden administration? Because unless people are walking away and they've just, you know, found their golden parachute, they've circled the wagons. And, and you know, after the Afghanistan report came out yesterday, it doesn't look like they want to hold anybody accountable for anything in this regime. Well, look, I think Secretary Mayorkas is, is an embarrassment to position he holds. I, I've said for two years he needs to be impeached. And you want to make him a sacrificial lamb? They have to do it. But there needs to be others, too. Yeah, He needs to be impeached. But, and I'm really upset that Republicans say aren't moving on impeachment as quick as they should. This guy uh, has violated the oath office he's taken. He has lied under oath. He committed perjury in front of Congress when he keeps saying the border is secure. Now he's changed his definition of what a secure border means. That's his way to get out of the perjury charge. Look, the, the definition of secure border is in statute. He, that, that, you know, uh, Chip Roy put that up on the sign and showed it to him. Here's the here's meaning of a secure border that is in statute, enshrined in federal law. And he says, yes, the border meets that definition, which is a stone-cold lie, right? So now you say, well, I don't use that term. Uh, but you, you know, I, I use you know, mission advantage. What the hell is mission advantage, first of all? And second of all, he does not have mission advantage. When you got 1.3 million gotaways, show me the mission advantage. When you got 106,000 people dying of fentanyl overdoses, Where's the mission advantage? When you got when you got over seventeen hundred migrants that have died on U.S. soil trying to get this country, which is a record by far. Yeah. Show me the mission advantage. When you got criminal cartels in Mexico making more money than they've ever made, show me the mission advantage. This guy's a, this guy's this guy's an embarrassment to position he holds, and he needs to be he needs to be impeached. And behind him, I think second, I think the president of the United States, Joe Biden. I think what he's done is cause for impeachment. Sure. Look, they came in and took the most secure border in my lifetime under President Trump and intentionally unsecured a border. Who the hell does that? What commander-in-chief says, I'm going to unsecure this border. I want record illegal immigration. I want record smuggling of women and children for sexual purposes. I want a record number of no suspected terrorists coming across the border. I want a record number of Americans dying from drug overdoses. They knew exactly what they were doing. Before this administration came in, after they won the election, They've received over 200 briefings on the policies we've put in place. And if they get away those, do away those policies, the results are going to see. They ignored all that. They haven't backed down once on what they're doing. And, and just like the report in Afghanistan came back, 
You know, now that you still want to blame the Trump administration for everything. Yeah. When the, when Trump administration is in power, illegal immigration was at a forty-five year low. It was down eighty-three percent. Stone cold data facts. Go to the website and look at CBP website. You cannot justify what you have done. Ted, Ted Cruz did a great job. He put the charts up there, saying, "Here's where Trump was, and here's what you guys done." My orchestra says, "Well, the whole world has changed. Everybody's fleeing political persecution. They were fleeing per- political persecution on the Trump administration." Well, the Trump administration said, look, you can claim asylum, but you're going to wait in Mexico. Yep. And the federal courts have said that's legal. So don't blame, you know, they can take the same policy that Trump had and secure this border at a higher level in 60 days if they chose to do so. They don't want to do it. Look, they created a program. So now they want to bring 30000 a month in illegal aliens to a port of entry to claim asylum in the United States. They're just making illegal immigration legal. And not through Congress, not not through the legislative branch, which is the way it's supposed to be. He's just having executive orders doing this stuff. And the thirty thousand a month add to that the unlimited amount that come in through CBP one application they created. They created a pathway for illegal illegal aliens to enter the country to a port of entry. And why did they do that? For two reasons. They want people in this country. And, to, and number two, because that means an open border. Number two, they can say, look, illegal immigration is down this this many thousand. Well, no kidding, because you're pushing through a port of entry. That's just a shell game. So they haven't did one damn thing to slow the flow. And I get angry when I talk about this. Secretary Mayorkas knows exactly what he's doing. And he and he's violating the oath he took. It's treasonous. Think of what they're doing. It's almost treasonous what this administration does. And they, they and he continues to look at these members when he's under testimony. He's arrogant. He, uh, he, he, he dances around the questions. He won't answer the questions. If, if a Republican did this, they would, they would, they'd be they'd be raising holy hell. This administration embarrassment, and I, I can't wait for the twenty twenty four election so we get a patriot back in the White House who gives who gives a I can't say that word who cares about the safety and security of this country. No, he certainly does. It and, is uh, so annoying listening to Mayorkas talk. At uh, um, well, we have a, a operational control of the border, and uh, it's like ugh. Yeah. Let me tell you this: I had dinner with President Trump two nights ago. Um, I'm looking forward to his return. And as I told him the other night, he said, what do you think? What do you think? I says, sir, as you as president, I'll come back in a heartbeat. We'll lock the board down in 60 days. Nice. And we'll do it. We'll do it. So all these people, they let in illegally. 90% will lose their case in front of the immigration judge because that's based on immigration court data. Nine out of 10 simply don't claim, don't qualify for asylum. Mm -hmm. Think you're home free? You think you're home free? No, you're not. (laughs) Because the right administration is going to seek you out detain you and deport you if we don't have if we don't have consequences if you don't have deterrence to you know violating our laws then we got we don't have a country you can't claim and you hear all the left all the democrats they have a right to claim asylum they have a legal right to claim asylum yeah they got the right to due process you're right but guess what due process doesn't mean squat if the final decision of the courts aren't carried out if the final decision accordingly executed you can't you can't you can't demand that they see a judge and not accept the determination of that judge. So these people need to be found. They need to be deported. Yep. And uh, we'll, we'll commit to that under uh, the right president. And President Trump's already uh, stumping on that hard on the campaign trail, talking about the formation of the largest deportation operation in the history of the United States, which excites our listenership, to say the very least. They're going to need, need another agency, basically. That's just going to be an astronomical job. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be big fun. But.
But, Director, you said you had dinner with the president lately. Obviously, we're in between segments right now talking about uh, what happened with the indictment and then President Trump's uh, rebuttal speech afterwards right now. What can you say about how the president's doing? What did you think of the event? And, and, you know, as a country, where do we move from here? We've definitely turned a page in regards to our two-tier legal system, and we really need to, uh, you know, rally rally the troops around President Trump right now because he's under attacks, uh, unprecedented nature, historical nature like we've never seen before, except the American people do see it. And he, he's rising in the polls. His popularity is getting even bigger than it was before. Look, I think what's happening right now is an attack on democracy. It's an attack on conservatism. It's an attack on the Republican Party. And I think we're at the place now where we're at war. Too, because when you, when you do what you did to the President of the United States, which is unprecedented. And I'll say this. I like Ron DeSantis. I think Ron DeSantis has done a great job in Florida. Sure. But you know what should happen? Point. Since, since, since this is an attack on the entire Republican Party, attacking on, on you know those who believe in, in enforcing our laws, those who believe in a safe country, those who believe in border security, I'd like to see Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley have a press conference and say this. You know what? We are not going to, we're going to suspend any thought of running for office in 2024 because we're going to be behind President Trump. We ask our supporters to support President Trump. The Republican Party, for once, for once, needs to circle the wagons and become one and take this on and throw off support behind President Trump. That would make Ron DeSantis a national hero. Yeah. That would guarantee him presidency in 2028. I think, guys, for once, and, and you know, Asa Hutchinson, he, you know, he makes a comment the president should resign yeah. because he got indicted. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It, it, this is exactly what the Dems want, is us to divide ourselves. At this point, for what they've done, there's never been a better time to circle the wagons. The whole party get behind him. The whole party pushes on him. So the Democrats can, let's say, oh, look what we started. These guys are now cohesive. These guys are now a force to be reckoned with. And take this country back. And that's what should happen. Because you know, I had dinner with the president. You no know, spirits are up because, you know, he's used to this. Look, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something. I'm not, I've never met a stronger man or woman in my life. What he's been through would break every man I know. It, it might break me, and I'm pretty hardcore. What he's been through, and he continues to face the fight. And, you know, it, it, he, he's, he's upbeat. He's going to fight this, and he's going to push, and he's going to be president. And, and he's not going to let anybody stop him. But I just wish for once the Republican Party would circle the wagons, the whole party, and yep. everybody involved. I think that'd be great. You know, I, I see you know, the HR 29, the bill that Chip Roy has on Hill, you got a guy named Tony Gonzalez in Texas, the only Texas congressman who's pushing back on it. Yep. Why? Why, what, you know, why the hell can't we all stick together like the Democrats do? And it's all, for, it's all personal reasons. I, I know him. But, you know, he made a comment the other day that no one's going to outborder him. Okay, you know what? Game on. I'll outborder you. So I'm, in, I'm writing op-ed right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull the scab back in this whole thing. He has the biggest portion of the border in Texas. He's walked away from the, and, and he claims he, he supports the Trump policy. And HR 29 just legislates what Trump did through executive action. Yep. So stop playing political games. Let's circle the wagons, do it right for American people. If, if not now, it's never going to happen because what they just did, if they don't have the wables, if they don't have the backbone to do it now, they never will.
No, they certainly won't. And, uh, Director, we're going to keep tracking on all this stuff. Obviously, we saw, you know, people like Chip Roy and, and Tom Massey, they'd much rather get uh, funding by the Club for Growth in their reelection campaigns and actually get behind Trump era policies, which were some of the absolute strongest in, in, on any border, on, in any country on the planet, in the history of our world. So, and, and that's kind of where we're at right now with them. We're glad we got to catch up with you today. We know you got a hard out. Where do you want us to direct our traffic to uh, find out everything that's going on with you in the show description today? Look, go to, go to America Project, AmericaProject.com. Look at what we're trying to do. I, I hired a company to redo the website. We're trying to remarket. Again, here's our goal. People need to know what the America Project is, what we're trying to do, and why it's important to them. So if you, if, if you sit back and so say, illegal immigration doesn't affect me. Illegal immigration is no big deal. It's just people trying to come to this country a better life. I get it. But because of what's happening on our border, it's created a huge problem. Look. I've talked to girls as young as 10 years old that rape multiple times. Mm. And if, if anybody in your audience will sit down and hear that interview, it just breaks your heart. That, you know, that little girl went through hell. She'll never, ever, ever live the life she deserves. Uh, I've held dying children. I've, I've held dead children. I've, and, and I've seen some terrible, terrible things in my 35 years. We've had over 1,700 migrants have died on U.S. soil because these cartels just don't give uh, care. I almost did it again. And uh, if people really care about life, if you really care about what happens to these people, uh, the most vulnerable people in the world are trying to cross the border because of promises this administration made. And when President Trump had illegal immigration down 83% at a 45-year low, when 83% less people were coming or trying to make that journey, how many women weren't raped? Right. Who turned it drowned in the river? How many Americans didn't die of drug overdoses? How many billions of dollars did the cartels not make? How many non-suspected terrorists didn't get in the country? President Trump's policy not only secured the border to save lives. So uh, please go to our website, look at what we're trying to do. And uh, we're, you know, no one's going to shut me up. I'm going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Because in 2024, when you walk in that voters box, again, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm going to tell you to vote for the guy who's, who promises to secure that border and protect America. That's it right there, and uh, we'll be tracking all of that. We'll be looking forward also to having you back on the show again soon. This is the former acting ICE director under the Trump administration, the new CEO of the America Project, Mr. Tom Holman. Thanks for joining us today on the show. Keep on doing what you guys are doing. I appreciate what you're doing. It's important that guys like you get the uh, truth out to American people. God bless you. Take care. Thank you very much, everybody. And we have to save our country. God bless you all. God bless you all. And I never thought anything like this could happen in America. Never thought it could happen. The only crime that I have committed is to fearlessly defend our nation from those who seek to destroy it. From the beginning, the Democrats spied on my campaign. Remember that? They attacked me with an onslaught of fraudulent investigations. Russia, Russia, Russia. Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. Impeachment hoax number one. Impeachment hoax number two. The illegal and unconstitutional raid on Mar-a-Lago right here. 
They're lying to the FISA courts, the FBI and DOJ, relentlessly pursuing Republicans. The unconstitutional changes to election laws by not getting approvals from state legislators. The millions of votes illegally stuffed into ballot boxes and all caught on government cameras. And just recently, the FBI and DOJ in collusion with Twitter and Facebook in order not to say anything bad about the Hunter Biden laptop from hell, which exposes the Biden family as criminals and which, according to the pollsters, would have made a 17-point difference in the election result. And we needed a lot less than that, like about 16.9. It would have been in our favor. Not my favor, our favor, because our country is going to hell. Well, as you guys can tell, Donald Trump was uh, absolutely defiant, especially mm-hmm. in the uh, face of the judge who raised some concerns about his tone on social media and at speaking events regarding ongoing investigations and uh, all things surrounding him. But I believe he's well within his rights. No gag order was was issued during the arraignment, and uh, I don't think one will be coming. I know everybody got to see or at least heard portions of Donald Trump's speaking event uh, from the after party following the arraignment. What would you guys think? Well, I didn't get to watch the whole thing, but I mean, that's your typical Trump, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely think he uh, stayed on task and purpose, to be honest with you. Alan, I know uh, you probably broke down a little bit of his speaking event, watched it. Some, a lot of our friends were there, to be honest with you. I saw Devin Nunes, Rick Grinnell, Christina Bob, new friend of the show, Brennan Dilley, got invited. He made the trip down to Mar-a-Lago and was there. Dan Scavino, who's a steak for breakfast enjoyer, obviously with the 45th president at all times. But uh, Alan, what'd you think? Yeah, listen, I was watching some of the footage even before he spoke. That that room was was energized. Uh, there was, I don't know, there were probably like between five and 700 people there, it looked like. My, my conversation with, with Roger Stone about it, he, he had said that, one, he, he had a, a one-on-one conversation with, uh, with Donald Trump and said he, he feels, uh, he felt the energy from him, and, and so did everybody in that room. He, this is a guy who the night before was, was spending a night in Trump Tower knowing he was walking into the belly of the sick leftist beast into yeah. that courtroom to be arraigned in front of a r- ridiculous clown leftist judge who would like nothing more than to put him in jail right then and there to getting back on a plane and not, not, I don't even use the word entertaining, but just showing to his base and to his, his closest supporters there at Mar-a-Lago that he will not be beat and that he, he sent the message that if need be, he will go down fighting. I think Donald Trump is ready to fall on that sword if need be to do whatever it, it, it took to, to to save our republic. And you can you heard it through every line of his of his remarks. And to be honest, I was curious if there was going to be a gag order uh, for him and maybe not his family and that he would have had a family member uh, given those same remarks. But again, I, I don't see a gag order coming. And those concerns about what he's going to say on social media, again, is nothing more than leftist propaganda, similar to saying, well, he might incite something. Give me a break. Uh, There's no stopping him. Trump train will not be derailed. No, it doesn't seem like it. And uh, he had mentioned in in his intro there after getting up onto the stage that this country is a mess. Uh, He did get into some specifics, ones that we're going to be talking about 
in uh, just a few minutes with retired Army Colonel Douglas McGregor, who's back today on the show, uh, going to be talking about a lot of the big geopolitical chess moves that are happening right now behind the scenes and uh, pretty much out of the eyes of the uh, Americans who aren't getting it in the media here. You're getting it here on Steak for Breakfast. But let's hear 45 weigh in on uh, the current state of the nation. USA is a mess. Our economy is crashing. Inflation is out of control. Russia has joined with China. Can you believe that? (laughs) Saudi Arabia has joined with Iran. China, Russia... Iran and North Korea have formed together as a menacing and destructive coalition would have never happened if I were your president would never have happened nor would Russia attacking Ukraine have happened all of those lives would be saved all of those beautiful cities would be standing our currency is crashing and will soon no longer be the world standard which will be our greatest defeat frankly in 200 years there will be no defeat like that that will take us away from being even a great power. If you took the five worst presidents in the history of the United States and added them up, they would not have done near the destruction to our country as Joe Biden and the Biden administration have done. Incredibly, we are now a failing nation. We are a nation in decline. And now these radical left lunatics want to interfere with our elections by using law enforcement. We can't let that happen. With all of this being said, And with a very dark cloud over our beloved country, I have no doubt, nevertheless, that we will make America great again. Well, I mean, you can't really deny the fact, uh, especially when he has talking about stuff with the dollar. That's, you know, something that we've covered extensively on the show. We brought in a lot of the experts. I mean, Jim Nels comes off the top of my head as someone who comes in and talks about the economy and, and the whole supply chain issues that the world's going through right now. And uh, obviously we're always trying to cover the jobs numbers and the unemployment numbers. We've got the debt ceiling debate and the next year fiscal budget battle coming down the pike as well. So we really have to take into consideration that with the U.S. dollar um, standing to lose its footing as the reserve currency for the world and, and one that is used to uh, – settle international debts between countries doing business. I mean, Noah, you are our uh, international currency debt settling expert here on the show. <laughs> you have to really uh, see some red flags being raised regarding it. Well, people don't seem to understand like what that means like for us as a nation. Like If we lose our, our standing on the global stage any further than we already have, we're in for yeah. problems. We're not that far from losing it. I mean, I, I, I even take the currency out of it. I mean, everyone is laughing at us. We yep. are a weak country. I feel as an American that we are right now, currently, no longer a a world leader. Oh wait, you're that saying that you're saying that the our our affectations about pronouns in the military aren't striking fear in the hearts of our enemies right now? 
No, I mean, when we had <laughs> with army, I mean, those... army generals wearing leather dog masks. Well, I mean, those are I scary. <laughs> Imagine having one of those coming at you from a freaking trench in <laughs> a battlefield somewhere. I, I'd be... I'll scratch your eyes out. You call me him, she, whiz, whatever pronoun oh, it is. How, <laughs> how dare they, them even mention that? Zezer. Stop it. He did uh, weigh in on Fat Alvin Bragg as well and, and, and the grand jury shit show that's going on. Let's hear him. Spent time there today, as you possibly read, <laughs> with a local failed district attorney charging a former president of the United States for the first time in history on a basis that every single pundit and legal analyst said there is no case. There's no case. They kept saying there's no case. <laughs> Virtually everyone. But it's far worse than that because he knew there was no case. That's why last week he delayed for a month and then immediately took that back and threw this ridiculous indictment together. Came out today, everybody said this is not really an indictment, there's nothing here. My lawyers came to me and they said, there's nothing here, they're not even saying what you did. The criminal is the district attorney because he illegally leaked massive amounts of grand jury information. For which he should be prosecuted, or at a minimum, he should resign. And that goes back to the fun we had last week on the show when, when Donald Trump essentially tweeted for Alvin Bragg to indict himself <laughs> because <laughs> his wife would be extremely happy with him if, she, if he did. Besides the joke of it, the, the media, the Wall Street Journal and the CNN were reporting on the 34 counts of you know falsifying business whatever that they are trying to spin into some kind of campaign finance whatever felony that they're not going to be able to charge the president with. But the fact that they had it at least 24 hours before the arraignment does raise a lot of red flags and does show how compromised the, you know, essentially state-run media in this country is. Uh, NPR is enjoying their tag on, on Twitter with that. As they are government-funded, uh, I'm sure everybody saw Elon Musk slapped a state-run media tag as nice. right next to their political uh, or, or their uh, media outlet um, organization disclaimer on their Twitter page. So I think the... Uh, the biggest thing I want to take away from this, and, and we try to highlight it on the show, we bring in so many people who are you know, on the Trump team and close to the Trump camp, is the, uh, the weight that this has uh, you know, on, on Donald Trump and his family members. You, you've seen some of his own children, like you know, Ivanka, for one, you know, in the last week, she put out a statement that this is just really disappointing, and, and it's weighed on her and her family a lot. She doesn't want anything to do with politics or any future endeavors that he has in uh, the spectrum as well. And, you know, we've, we talked to so many people on the show and we, we don't like to give specific details, but a lot of these guys that come on the show regularly are going through hell. They're getting harassed by the IRS, the FBI, you name it. And uh, having marshals show up at their house and taking their phones for a week and then giving them back, taking their computers for a week and giving them back, making them come up with all these ridiculous legal fees to appear in court and defend themselves for essentially nothing. You know, it costs tens of thousands of dollars just to go into court and, and, you know, give a disposition of, I don't know, I didn't have anything to do with that because you need to have a lawyer there. You need to make sure you're not getting railroaded when you go in for these, you know, questionings and, and things like that. And it's just really frustrating. And, and a lot of that frustration, I think, through through all of this is what Donald Trump feels. It's for not him personally because, like Tom Homan said, he thinks that Donald Trump's a stronger person than him. And, and Tom Homan looks like literally a real-life Thanos 
literally. <laughs> but, you know, and he says Donald Trump takes all this stuff and just, you know, wakes up the next morning and it's off to the golf course and then on to the next campaign event. So he's, he's just doing the best he can. But uh, he's an energetic guy for, for his age. Yeah. That's for sure. That guy's almost 80 years old. McDonald's and soda. That's it. Yeah, it's got. There's got to be something in it that keeps you and not sleeping. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm in my 40s, and you know, I get tired just you know doing a normal shift at work and then having to come home and walk the dog. I mean, that literal yeah. diet has not done it for me. I mean, no one knows I don't sleep, and uh, you know, a couple of McDoubles and a few Diet Cokes a week just hasn't done it for me the way it does for Donald <laughs> Trump. Maybe I'll live to 100 years old, like apparently he's gonna. But uh, I tell you what, in the looks department, it's not not so much. But I, I do want to play this last clip here as we're getting ready to jump in with, with Colonel McGregor. Maybe you need to start a tanning regimen. There you go. Yeah. Oh, did you guys see also it was on, it was on Twitter when CNN put out the tweets of Donald Trump sitting in the courtroom. They put an orange filter on Donald Trump and then everybody started doing two screens of like the actual picture. Yes. Then the one that was on the CNN home. They didn't learn after doing that to Joe Rogan. Yeah, they made him look so <laughs> orange. It was bad. Bad. It's orange, just, man. it's so, and like, and then what, when they try to like, uh, defend themselves for what happened while well, we were having some problems in the tech department, yeah. uh, you can only imagine the bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It, it, at this point, <laughs> I mean, you, you can't help but laugh. Oh, it's, it's a comedy show. I, I honestly think Donald Trump should troll everyone and release more. No, just release his own. Like, hey, you know what? I'm just going to do a mugshot in Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, and just like literally hold up like an, uh, a name placard with like Mar-a-Lago on it on the bottom. Throw. A, I think you like, should like, do a whole skit and, and walk into a Mar-a-Lago event in yeah. an orange jumpsuit and do a, just a whole skit, like but, a Saturday Night Live he skit. He used to do some it really good be, ones on SNL when it was still decent. No, no, but it, but <laughs> it, it would be a, a, a flesh-colored jumpsuit because then when CNN makes it orange, then it'll work. <laughs> there you go. No, he, he should literally... So you know when you go to like a conference at like a hotel or something sure. like that or you go to a convention and they have like the little placards? Yeah. Like, saying what's going on in there he should yeah. literally make an actual name placard like he's at jail with one of those from mar-a-lago and take the picture and then just release it and watch how many of these just mouth-breathing idiots that have the the worst trump derangement syndrome ever just share it without even thinking it would be the biggest troll ever there's been some really good faked truths of him that people put out there oh yeah like it's not even looking photoshopped anymore it's it's like organic looking where like you can't tell and they put out like some of the most ridiculous stuff and you'll see a couple of big accounts just oh it's donald trump and then hit retweet real quick and then like it's got something really bad in it and you see everybody delete it like an hour <laughs> later so yeah, you got to have a little bit of discernment, and that's one thing that the uh, corporate press and the mainstream media don't have. Let's hear the 45th president talk about how this has been tough for his family, though. She said that I falsified my financial statements, but in fact, we're proving and will prove that my financial statements were substantially more than we submitted, not less. And in all cases, have a strong disclaimer clause in them, which tells the institutions that may look at that if they want to not to rely on the statement but they've got a problem with their case because number one i'm very underleveraged they can't believe it all the stuff they read and gave and have very little debt relative to the value of assets and importantly not one bank has lost even one dollar she was investigating me to save banks <laughs> they're very good lawyers but they didn't lose a dollar with us during this period of time 
In fact, the banks we're talking about made almost $200 million off Donald Trump, and they liked me very much. We never missed a payment, never got a default notice, had a great relationship with all of them. I don't need banks. They have a lot of cash. I built a great business with my family, built a fantastic business. I have a son here who's done a great job, and I have another son here who's done a great job. And Ivanka and Baron will be great someday. He's Ooh, tall. Teaser. He is tall and he's smart. But I have a great family, and they've done a fantastic job, and we appreciate it very much. They've gone through hell. So she's suing me over banks that weren't defrauded when she should be focused on violent crime that's driving people out of the state. This is a persecution, not an investigation. She's put our family through hell. It's cost hundreds of millions of dollars to def- and, and of course, she's ta- he's talking about the uh, attorney general of the state, Letitia James, who's, you know, probably directing a lot of this behind the scenes and uh she she also ran on the you know campaign platform of if you elect me i'll get donald trump but i'll be honest with you guys you know alan seeing the organic turnout i mean there was people there that helped that with the help of marjorie taylor green the new york young republican club and some of the other public figures who showed up in new york there was a lot larger and more organic showing of public uh, affection for Donald Trump, I think, on Tuesday. And you were there at Ground Zero. You want to just, like, before we get ready to cut this segment real quick, let our listenership know if if I'm right in what, I, what we were watching on television unfold, as, as, as that being the case? 100%. And unfortunately, a lot of people threw shade on it and said, oh, when you look at the pictures, it's all media and about 50 people from the New York Young Republican Club. And that that is just not the case. Uh, there were a lot of people that had traveled from I, I was I talked to people from Philadelphia that came from Massachusetts, uh, Trump supporters, uh, New Jersey, uh, just uh, all over. Uh, actually, there was someone there from Vermont that came. Wow. And even the person from Vermont said, you know, we couldn't believe the amount of people that they met, not even from the New York area. And, and then a lot of people from the city. It, it just it was organic. There were a lot of people holding up their cell phones. They want to get a glimpse of. The speakers, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, George Santos came. Unfortunately, he got so mobbed by the press <laughs> that they had to usher him out. He really couldn't stick around. Um, and I love George. But it, it really, you could feel the energy and the, the again, the organic crowd that just showed up. There were people that had come and said, oh, we, we heard about this and we wanted to see what it was like. And, of course, you had your trolls there. I will tell you, Trump supporters to counter supporters who hate Donald Trump. Uh, no exaggeration. They were the anti-Trump uh, crowd was outnumbered by Trump supporters, I would say by eight to 10 to one. Wow. Yeah, at least I would say 10 to one. And you, there were some pictures out there on social media where you could see how they had the park divided and the crowd of anti-Trump uh, people to the uh, the Trump supporters was, uh, was amazing. So yeah, it was, and, and this was just thrown together it wasn't, you know, 
planned for a very long time. No, just a few uh, days. Just a few days. And it was peaceful. There, there were no issues with Trump supporters. There was one actually somebody that was already called out um, who uh, had a Church of Satan sticker on her cell phone. She forgot to take that off. She was wearing a Trump hat. Perfect. And she went after anti-Trump supporters with this big banner that they had. Um, and uh, that that was uh, that was shown really quick. There were, in fact, people there. I was interviewed by a local uh, uh, independent journalist, and he had pointed out to me he had actually broke the story back, I think, in February that there was uh, about six to ten people there who were, in fact, in D.C. on January 6th, who were well-known members of Antifa mm. who have doxxed him in the past. Uh, and they were there trying to interview people again, uh, disguised as Trump supporters like they were on January 6th in D.C. So well, I'm, I'm glad you pointed you that, that out, Alan, because, uh, you know, with about a week to plan and uh, due to the fact that it's such a leftist communist shithole like New York has turned into uh, <laughs> over the course of the, the last decade or so, um, you didn't have a huge mob like mentality Antifa presence there, which says a lot. I mean, obviously. The entire New York Police Department was mobilized. The Secret Service and, and private security for the president was probably at numbers uh, greater than anywhere he's traveled recently. But the fact of the matter is that these, you know, essentially jerk-offs didn't show up and try to ruin anything or make a big, uh, you know, ruckus there it says a lot for, you know, how the people generally feel about Donald Trump. And uh, they can go and cause destruction across the country uh, in his name, like, like they did in the Summer of Love. But when it when the man's actually standing there in your face, you know, the uh, the bad people really don't like to stare down the thing that they claim to be fighting against. So now that we're all caught up on everything that happened with the uh, indictment and arraignment that, you know, went down on Tuesday, uh, we're going to segue right now and jump in with uh, Colonel McGregor to, to continue this narrative, talk a little geopolitics. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. He's a retired Army colonel. Joining us again, Douglas McGregor, thanks for coming back on the show. Sure. Colonel, it's great having you back. We've had a lot of development since the last time we talked to you. You unpacked a lot of the narrative, what's going on on the ground uh, at the front lines of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Uh, but since then, we, we've had that historic meeting uh, between China and Russia that seemed to have put a lot of other wheels around the globe into action. I'd like to touch on a couple of those uh, with you today. But based on what uh, you've been able to see and, and how things are going now, we know China and Russia had been collaborating behind the scenes, but this uh, public show of face in a state meeting w was obviously big for optics around the world. Definitely is like the uh, power players are shifting, uh, a lot of them away from the United States right now. What's the latest you could tell us uh, based on the fallout of that? Well, I don't think there's been uh, much fallout in the uh, direct sense, but I think what it does is it tells or should tell the American people and people in the West that the world has, in fact, fundamentally changed. 
We're 30 years, roughly 30 years after the complete dissolution of the Soviet state system and the end of the Cold War. And in that period of time, while we have been intervening in other people's countries and uh, bludgeoning them to death, especially countries that have no armies, no air forces, no navies, always useful to attack people that can't defend themselves. Mm. We, uh, we've we missed what's happened in the rest of the world. The rest of the world, frankly, is tired of being bullied by us. I mean, your listeners need to understand that we control the global financial system. It's not just the reserve currency as the dollar is concerned. It's control of all the major financial institutions. For, for instance, if, if we look carefully at the world, we're, we end up telling people that are, are in the World Bank what kinds of crops they are going to grow in what countries. I mean, just stop and consider that. If you live in Honduras or Bhutan or some other place around the world, you're, you're growing something because someone in Washington is telling you this is what you need to grow. That kind of thing has offended people for years. Then on top of it, they've seen what we did in the Middle East. I mean, we have absolutely destroyed Iraq. Yep. Uh, we've turned Syria into a graveyard. We've destroyed Libya. We, we keep going down the list. So a lot of the world is tired of us. Now, here comes China, which is approaching us in terms of its economic strength and power because it now has what we used to have, the world's leading manufacturing base, the world's leading scientific industrial base. And the Chinese are not interested in going to war with anybody. Quite the contrary. What they want desperately is peace. And what they sat down and talked with the Russians about was getting this damn war in Ukraine over with. Because the Chinese are trying to build rail lines that reach from Beijing and Shanghai all the way across the middle of Asia to the to France, to Rochefort, right on the uh, Atlantic coast. Because they want to be able to trade and enjoy commercial relationships with Europe and the rest of the world, frankly, without interference from us. Remember, we still control the oceans. Right now, most of China's food, uh, a lot, not most, but a substantial portion of it, a lot of their energy is shipped through the Strait of Malacca up through the South China Sea into China. They don't want to be dependent upon that anymore. What they would much rather do is ship everything via rail. And you can do that. And they're going to build those lines. They're trying to build those roads that reach all the way to Iran, all the way to North Africa, all the way to France, all the way to Sweden. Uh, that's why you've got to end this war in Ukraine. And so they sat there with Putin, and they're very dependent upon the Russians, by the way, to maintain order in Central Asia right? so they can have a stable environment. They said, look, we, we support you. We're going to continue to support you because we understand what you're up against. But we'd really like you to get the damn war over with so that we can get back to doing what we do best, make money. Yeah, it, it seems like that would be the big gains there. And and when you've seen some of the moves that have happened uh, since that meeting, obviously you have the conflict diplomatically between Iran and Saudi Arabia seeming to cool, and, and China's kind of taking the uh, credit for that. You also see uh, countries wanting to join the BRICS nations now. And, and now we have a threat to... Uh, you know, the U.S. dollar is the world reserve currency with countries, uh, you know, levering their debts using their own currencies or the, or the Chinese currency now uh, in their international business dealings. In the big scheme of things and, and how that would affect the American market and the economy here at home, how dangerous of, of waters is for us to be allowing these countries to wade in that by not figuring out a plausible solution to what's going on in Ukraine right now? 
Well, keep in mind what you described uh, that's happened between Iran and Saudi Arabia is a very major development. Now, how did it occur? Well, the Chinese simply said, uh, we want to trade with you. We want to become the principal buyer of your energy. And we're going to build the rail lines uh, to ensure that we can bring it in along with pipelines and so forth. And said, you know, we don't care. The Chinese don't care how many heads the Saudis chop off in a year. The Chinese don't care what happens inside Iran. The Chinese don't show up and dictate to people how they should live, what values they should have, how they should organize their country. Guess what? We do exactly that. And we've made ourselves extremely unpopular. The Chinese just show up and say, hey, we want to do business. The Saudis and the Iranians... We're told by the Chinese, it makes a hell of a lot more sense for you to cooperate than it does for you to go to war with each other. Well, we show up and say, well, first of all, we want you to adopt our democratic values. And oh, by the way, you have to be nice to Israel. And if you're not, well, then you're in a lot of trouble and we'll impose sanctions on you. Chinese don't do that. Chinese said, look, you know, what you do in your own country is your affair. And they're not anti-Israeli by any means. They're just as anxious to do business with the Israelis, and the Israelis will tell you that. But the Chinese are not going to involve themselves in local disputes. What we've been doing for the last 30 years, guys, is we've been involving ourselves in local matters, in the Balkans, in the Middle East, now in Eastern Europe. It's our involvement that makes these minor scraps, if you will, or conflicts into major wars. Nobody wants that anymore. So what are they doing? They're de-dollarizing. They don't want to use the dollar. They want to trade in their own currency. They're going to try and build parallel financial systems. Now, is this dangerous to us? Well, I think it's a wake-up call that if we are going to succeed in this century, we're going to have to change the way we do business, the way, the way we conduct our foreign policy. We've got to stop bombing everybody that we don't like on any given day. We have to stop demanding that everyone do what we tell them to do. we got to get back to where we were for the first 150 years of our history, which is we want to trade with everybody. We want to get along with everybody. You know, Washington and Hamilton used to say, if if we want the rest of the world to follow our example, then we need to set the example for success. And if we're successful, other people will adopt it. Other people will follow us. And that's kind of where we need to go. Right now, you've got a government in Washington that's not only making war overseas against the people they don't like, they want to make war here in the United States against the people they don't like. Oh, you make an excellent point there. Uh, Setting the example and dictating the example are two totally different things. I think a lot of people up in Washington, D.C., most of them, to be honest with you, have have lost their way regarding that over the last couple decades. And uh, it definitely needs to be looked and taken back to the drawing board in regards to our international relations, especially with some of our – I mean, I know you you mentioned China is chomping at the bit to uh, eventually do deals with Israel and – just in the last couple of weeks, we've seen the Biden administration give an extremely cold shoulder and, and public statement uh, regarding not wanting to meet with uh, Bibi Netanyahu at any point in the near future, which uh, while they're going through their whole kind of judicial crisis in Israel there it, it is not good for the relationship that uh, those two countries have, them and us, moving forward. Um, you know, we, we saw some high uh, delegates from Taiwan in the United States yesterday meeting with uh, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy in California. There's also a delegation of congressmen out in Taiwan uh, that are going to be there over the weekend. 
this uh, week to uh, talk to our allies there. Now, we are kind of in the agreement with you that China does not want any new wars because their goal is to dominate the world in trade. But by us kind of poking the beehive, especially when China has publicly stated that they don't want the U.S. trying to uh, instigate anything in the region, what are you seeing from from these meetings and and, and what should we do in regards to our foreign policy there? Because, uh, you know, a war that starts in in that area of the world, especially with everything going on on the the planet right now, would be absolutely horrible for uh, us here at home. Well, you're right. We need another war in Asia the way we need an extra whole board in our heads. <laughs> uh, the last thing we need at this point is war. If you look at what's what's going on, this, this is the picture. Uh, you have two major political parties on Taiwan. One is called the KMT. The KMT is Chiang Kai-shek's old party. These were the Chinese that came across at the end of the Second World War and set up what we today call modern Taiwan. Then you have a second party, and I won't try to pronounce its name, which has historically been very pro-Japanese. And it's the party with the current president who talks about independence. Now, she is very low in the polls in Taiwan. The probability is very high that the KMT will sweep her and her party out of office in the near future. For the very simple reason that people in Taiwan do not want a war with China. Absolutely do not. In fact, they're doing land office business with China. All of their banks have holdings in on the Chinese mainland. And there is a back channel that exists between the government on, on Formosa or Taiwan and the government in Beijing. Mm. They talk to each other all the time. And they have made it abundantly clear they don't want to fight. The problem is that we are insistent on stationing forces of some kind in Asia. And we have been talking about potentially putting forces back on the island of Taiwan. That's unacceptable to the Chinese. Now, I don't think it's going to happen because I think if it were even seriously mentioned publicly, I think the government would change hands inside Taiwan. And I think you'd have, uh, there's a gentleman named Gu, believe it or not. That's how you pronounce his name, G-O-U. He is uh, the new candidate for presidency of Taiwan, and he wants peaceful reunification with China. Not tomorrow morning, but eventually, just as Xi has said, we should have peaceful unification over time. And they want to work out the modus vivendi, I mean, how this would happen. We are trying to prevent that. And we have to remember that Taiwan was the unsinkable aircraft carrier for the Imperial Japanese Armed Forces during World War II. Every major invasion, every major attack launched against the Chinese began on the island of Taiwan. The Chinese will not permit any foreign forces or foreign government to take control of that island. And that means especially us, because they know, just as Putin knew, that we would try to put missiles into eastern Ukraine that could threaten his own arsenal of uh, nuclear warheads and missiles in Russia. The Chinese know if we put missiles there, we're trying to threaten them in the same way. They won't tolerate it. So do we have to have a war over this? Absolutely not. And we keep talking about how aggressive and dangerous China is. Well, they're aggressive economically. There's no question about it. I mean, historically, we've been pretty aggressive in the same way. Yeah. But there are no armies massing on the borders of Southeast Asia. There are no armies massing on the border of North Korea. In other words, the Chinese aren't preparing to attack anybody. And we point to this Navy, and we always fail to point out that out of 300 ships, over 100 are effectively Coast Guard vessels. 
The Chinese Navy is brand new, and it has an enormous morale problem because the Chinese are not historically a maritime power. Right. And the Chinese don't like to go to sea for long periods. I'll be blunt with you. The Japanese Navy today could probably sink most of the Chinese Navy in a week. So the real question is, why, why are we doing what we are doing? It's unnecessary. And no one in Asia wants a war. So you tell me. You, you you follow this. What are these maniacs in Washington doing? They're looking just to continue to feed the military-industrial complex, it seems like. And, uh, you know, the things they tell the people at home, the things we see on the news quite often here in the United States is obviously a very different version of what's going on, you know, in theater, whether it's a hot zone or, you know, much colder like it is in, in Southeast Asia. And, and it's just... You have to understand, you know, as a listenership, there there are two sides to every story. And just to think that, you know, the, the CCP is an awful regime that does awful things to their people and is a repressive government, this, that, and the other thing. But when you talk about them expanding their brand across the world via force, they've been doing a pretty, jo pretty good job of doing that by forcing their skewed view of diplomacy and economic warfare uh, on the globe and making countries, uh, entire governments, you know, reliant on them either for infrastructure structure, uh, you know, loans, and, and and of course with goods that are produced in China as well. So I, I think we'll, we will definitely be continuing to track this, and we will be definitely looking to have uh, Colonel McGregor back on the show with us. Colonel, before we let you go, where can we find you uh, online? And we could live link it in the show description today. Well, I think you can just uh, go to my website where you can read virtually everything I've written, and you can also watch all the videos that I've that have been made with me on the news hours and various things. You can just Google Douglas McGregor, or you can go to DougPeriodMcGregor.com. Uh, any of those, you, you'll come up with it all, and, and you'll reach the website. And uh, also, we'll tell you about the books that I've written. I've written five books. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think we need to keep something in mind that we should respect the cultures and way of lives of other people. In other words, we've got to get out of this business of saying we're the model, follow us, do what we tell you to do, and start respecting other people for what they are. I mean, you, you talked about, is China repressive? If you are brought into a court and you are being tried for a capital offense, your probability of being found guilty in China is 99%. If you're brought into a court in Japan and uh, your probability of being found guilty is 99%. If you are in Vietnam, it's 99%. What am I trying to tell you? Culturally, this part of the world is radically different from us. What we regard as authoritarian, they regard as an absolute necessity. Let them live in Asia as they prefer. And let's live our lives here at home in the way that we prefer. You, you make a whole lot of sense there, Colonel. I, I mean, like if, if, if we... Uh decided that we were only going to be doing trades with countries that modeled a, a, a Jeffersonian democracy or a constitutional republic like we have here in the United States, we would find very few trading partners throughout the world. And that's why uh, we love having you on the show. You make a lot of sense, and, and you do a great job of continuing to educate our listenership. We'll be looking forward to having you back. This is Colonel Douglas McGregor. Thank you for coming on Steak for Breakfast today. Sure. Thanks a lot. John, who's going to get fired over this? Peter, 
<laughs> the purpose of the document that we're putting out today well, Mr. Garrison's uh, ready for is this guy. to sort of collate the chief reviews and findings of the agencies that did after action reviews. Um, uh, the, it, it, it's not, the, the purpose of it is not accountability. It's the purpose of it is, uh, the purpose of it is to study like lesson learned. That the uh, intel uh, was bad. So how can President Biden ever trust when they come into the Oval Office with the PDB that anything in there is legit? What I said was good that point. intelligence is a mosaic. What if the mosaic, all the pieces are incorrect? What I said was I think Joe Biden's more concerned about a PB&J. And, yeah. and they get it right a lot, too. Um, there were some pieces here that weren't accurate. Reese's and pieces? we're being nothing but honest with you and the American people about oh, what those inaccuracies oh, were oh. and how they shaped some of the decision making that was laid before the president and, and his and the questions that he that he asked this document and this effort it isn't about accountability today it's about understanding and I would also add that the as I said to Ed the review process isn't over this is this is the next muscle movement in what will be a long process to better understand and comprehend and adjust to what we learned and what we did in Afghanistan. But it, it doesn't seem like after the country has had a couple months to review this and as the government has, people don't have an issue with the decision to order troops out of Afghanistan. It is with the way that this president ordered it done. There were children being killed. There were people hanging off of Air Force jets that were leaving. And you're saying that you guys are proud of the way that this mission was conducted? Does not mean of that? Proud of the fact that we got more than 124,000 oh, people safely out of Afghanistan? You bet. Yeah, but you Proud also said you weren't going to leave American any Americans troops behind. were able to seize control of a defunct airport and get it operational in 48 hours? You bet. Proud of the fact that we now have about 100,000 Afghans, our former allies and partners, living in this country and working towards citizenship? You bet. Now, does that mean that and everything went perfect in that evacuation? Yeah. Of course not. I've talked about it from a, di a different podium. The after-action reviews are now being reviewed by members of Congress, which will lay out things that could have gone better. Nobody's saying that everything was perfect. But there was a lot that went right, and a lot of Afghans are now living better lives in this country and other countries around the world Americans. because of the sacrifices yeah. and the work of so many American government officials. So, yeah, wow. there's a lot oh. to be... Oh, my Government God. officials are sacrificing. Wow. You mean the American people are sacrificing... So that was the Assistant White House Press Secretary John Kirby yesterday subbing in uh, in the bottom of the seventh with two outs and one man on. Oof. And you know we're talking a lot of shit, but at the same time, yes, a lot of those a lot of those Afghan uh, allies did deserve to come here, correct, hundred percent. And a lot of them were murdered in the process, exactly. Yeah. But you have to take into consideration that there was really not enough vetting that was going on because Absolutely. there was you none. Know, while none. while this guy's coming through with what appears to be his daughter that's his fucking girlfriend or his wife yeah. and minor bride uh, yeah i mean cultural norms uh peter like we've said uh cultural norms uh cultural norms be damned like that is Right. Inter inappropriate and pretty disgusting. Hey, you guys need to understand something. As long as they're transparent, and this is historic. Mm. Nothing but honest and transparent. Sorry, Admiral Kirby, you missed your mark, literally. And like I said before, this president takes child wives very seriously. Listen, the report came out 15 minutes before the Biden administration put a lid on their weekend. Consequently, 
we're, we're we're in the middle of Passover. Is and that the earliest lid that's been put on? Do you no, think? sometimes <laughs> they just call it a day before it's even a day. Yeah, and uh, oh, you know, Deucey's here. All right, let's call it a day. We're heading into Easter weekend now, so y- you can expect a lot of people to uh, you know the news cycle is going to be very stale over the course of the weekend, and then barely any news on Monday. So the report, several hundred pages, very few mentions of anything important or pertinent to the actual mission, which was the retreat from Afghanistan, uh, or mentions of, you know, groups and organizations like the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, or ISIS. However, there's over four full pages of mentions and blamings of former President Donald Trump. Imagine that. And former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Uh, We'll hear from the former Secretary of State in just a second. But, you know, this just seems to me like another we don't care. And you can't do anything about it. I mean, we heard it. We covered extensively the uh, the House committee meeting they had with Austin and Millie up on Capitol Hill just a week ago. And uh, all they did was argue. They don't care. They call it historic. They call it amazing. They, they say the number over 100 and some odd thousand people got out. Not the tens of thousands of people that got killed. Not the entire country of women that was re-enslaved. Not all the children that died. Not the hundreds of people that died that day when the suicide bomber killed 13 uh, U.S. servicemen and women. Uh, where's the accountability and who's getting fired? And the first thing Kirby does is push back and that's, oh, uh, well. you know. And, and he was the guy uh, at the podium for the Pentagon when this withdrawal happened. So he already knows about it. And uh, knows that this is some dumbass regime talking point of uh, it was a success no matter how you look at it. And uh, a lot of people aren't talking about this, like I mentioned, because we're going into the holiday weekend. But we feel like it's very important to uh, at least stay on this, especially when a lot of the people who come on the show, like Congressman Mills, who (laughs) was on a plane that him and his friends self-chartered to go and get some of our you know, yep. human assets and American citizens out of Afghanistan when John Kirby, Joe Biden, and the rest of the jerk-offs over there at the Department of Defense and the Pentagon were fucking abandoning them to take Afghan citizens to the United States to relocate them for a better life. So, you know, I saw the, the gang from the five weigh in on it yesterday, and I thought Jesse Waters kind of went in on it pretty hard and uh, had a good narrative, so let's hear him. Permission to make an analogy? Mm. This is like coming back from a semester in college and handing your parents a report card with all D's and saying, Mom, Dad, don't worry. I have done a (laughs) self-assessment and I am very proud of how I did this semester. I know I told you that I was going to bring home all A's, but I was misled by my TAs. It was faulty intelligence. Now I know I inherited some circumstances which I could not control the American university system, the teachers, my trapper keeper. But this is accountability because I did find out one thing I need to do better. I actually need to study before the tests, (laughs) not during the tests. And then saying, I know I'm giving this to you before you're going to the airport. Take a look at it. Maybe we'll talk. Maybe we won't. And I need to borrow the keys to the car. (laughs) This is what they did here. You cannot do a self-assessment. And just not ask anybody else. Biden mentions Trump more than he mentions ISIS in the report. The worst part is the last line. He says, after 20 years, $2 trillion, standing up an Afghan army of 300,000 soldiers, the speed and ease with which the Taliban took control of Afghanistan suggests that there was no scenario except a permanent, significantly expanded U.S. military presence 
that would have changed the trajectory. That's like saying they did everything right and there was no other way this could have been after 20 years. And that Well, I just said it. What they say is what they consider right and, and you know, essentially screw anybody else's narrative. Um, it, it's just, remember, the Trump administration had no intention of giving up Bagram Air Force Base. So that in the region, in theater, military presence would have been continued for who knows how long. And minimal staffing probably too. Sure, uh, which now, you know, we, that was a strategic landing point now for any kind of potential counterstrike against China. In addition, you had so many other components that just kind of fell through. We, we've played, because it's one of Noah's favorite talking points in any of the Trump speeches, Donald Trump's long-documented good-standing relations with Abdul. Abdul. <laughs> Leader of the Taliban. <laughs> I forgot about Abdul. And the fact that, you know, the Trump administration had a beat on every single one of that guy's family members and, and all the summer homes, especially the beachfront properties. Mm. Spoiler alert, there's none in Afghanistan. But, you know, uh, summer homes that that guy had uh, throughout the country. And it, it seemed like... Well, you know, everything looks like a sandy beach there. True story. Donald Trump at least had them compliant. They weren't killing U.S. servicemen and women anymore. And Donald Trump let them know what the breaking points, what the red lines in the sand were. And uh, Donald Trump also understood history. Uh, he didn't like to hear anyone of his surrogates tell him things were going to take years. He wanted it done in days and weeks, a la destroying ISIS in Iraq and Syria. But, you know... This thing with Afghanistan, I don't know how long we would have kept Bagram or if we would have made it like a multinational landing point. But the fact of the matter is we weren't going to do what Joe Biden did, um, which is abandon everything. I mean, John Kirby kept hitting off of like $7 million of military equipment that we turned over to the Taliban that he said not only we were going to give them, but because we didn't have to pay to get it out of Afghanistan, it's made it easier to fund the fucking Ukraine war in turn <laughs> yesterday. Really said that. Yeah, and everybody in the press pool is like, I don't, "What? Huh?" And then he's like, "All right, guys, have a good weekend, happy Easter." Yeah, and, and, and you could have just it. had Ukraine send a self-addressed stamped envelope for some gear. Yeah, who's got a question about pronouns? I yeah. can answer one of those. Yeah, I got that one handled. Um, Literally I, said we didn't leave all that equipment there. That that was good. That was untrue. I mean, yeah. And the SOPs for when you discard some of that, some of those uh, pieces of equipment, like be completely destroyed. Throw a couple hand grenades in there. Yeah. That, that's literally like two or three grenades. Like, I'm pretty sure that's like some of the SOP for some of that stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, just for the fact that we don't want some of our enemies, I mean, we already know that the Taliban has sold some stuff off to Russia, sold some stuff off to China. And uh, for them to be able to deconstruct and, and reverse engineer all of our technology that we'd probably... In some of the worst scenarios, likely, which unfortunately we're currently toes to the line on because of this stupid ass regime up in Washington, D.C. right now, currently at having to use against uh, us in a war. So I did mention Mike Pompeo because he, he was heavily outlined along with Donald Trump throughout the course of the uh, new Afghanistan report. Uh, I saw him jump on yesterday to defend himself and the Trump era policies regarding it. Let's hear him. State in that administration. He joins me now. Secretary Pompeo, this has got to be somewhat stunning to you being involved in that. And I just want to read this because this jumped out at me in, in this quoting here. The previous administration provided no plans for how to conduct the final withdrawal. Your thoughts on this report, sir? 
Well, Trace, I, I'm not stunned because the Biden administration has consistently tried to blame someone else for every failure that they've had in these two years where they're leaving Americans more at risk today than when they came into office two years ago. Uh, I am outraged. I am outraged by the fact that the 13 Americans that were killed there uh, didn't have to happen. And President Biden made the political decision to announce the date of withdrawal, to publicize it, and then to withdraw in spite of the fact that the military clearly had told him that that was, that was a likely outcome. I, I, I don't know what they're talking about. I was the CIA director. I was in the middle of all of this. Mm-hmm. The military for our entire four years made very clear to us mm-hmm. that if we withdrew too hastily, that if we publicly announced a date of withdrawal, that precisely what you just saw happen in, that summer, in the summer of 21 would likely happen. It was a reasonably likely outcome. And for Kirby to stand there today to say, gosh, who would have guessed that Ghani would flee? I think everyone who dealt with President Ghani knew this guy was a liar. He was a scoundrel. He was corrupt. And that the most likely thing he would do was to depart and save his own life. This was entirely predictable. We didn't constrain them at all. The Biden administration has demonstrated their willingness to break up good plans that the Trump administration had. Think of our southern border where we had a good plan and remain in Mexico. Now thousands and thousands coming across each day. Think of the work that we had done to deter Vladimir Putin. No, they they know how to protect America only from embarrassment to the Biden administration. It is outrageous what Kirby said today in this report is based upon things that are just simply not true. I'm glad we spent millions and millions of dollars, taxpayer funded, to put that fucking piece of shit together and, mm. and dump it out there as a little, uh, well, I don't want to sound cliche, but Easter egg for the American public. Um, you know, hey, Antoinette, I, I think one of the biggest things there that uh, I want to take away from what Secretary Pompeo said was he talked about, well, first of all, the Afghan military dissolving itself, which was never really going to be a thing because they are live in constant fear of the Taliban, who was like the mafia behind the scenes after the invasion and and after we essentially destroyed them when they were a centralized power group there. But the fact that, you know, when he talks about former President Ghani fleeing, the fact that that Donald Trump always circles back to not talking about him and and talking about his relationship with Abdul was the fact that Donald Trump knew who controlled that country, so why wouldn't you want – the things that you need done as the American president who is working on a slow withdrawal to get out of there, want to work with the power broker instead of who the United States would consider to be some fucking, he's essentially the Joe Biden of Afghanistan. He's an empty suit that, you know, now he doesn't even live there anymore. I think he's in Pakistan right now. Yeah, no, I mean, it doesn't make sense. Like why, why would anybody want to deal with that guy in the first place? And don't you think also, Antoinette, that when you talk about Trump era policies, one of the biggest turnoffs for the establishment was working with all the people that they'd rather go to war with, like Abdul in Afghanistan, like Vladimir Putin in Russia, like Xi Jinping in China, like walking into North Korea and, and sitting down with uh, Chubbs over there as well. You know, it, it's, it, it, it's literally Donald Trump didn't see this as, uh, let's see how much Lockheed Martin and uh, Raytheon could make off of, you know, having this go on for another decade or two. Let's you know, get to the bottom of what the big issue is here. Maybe China needs some rice, like was the case, and, and made American farmers prosperous again. Maybe hey, you remember that time Trump sold rice to China, literally, <laughs> or or like with, that was great with North Korea. Kim Jong Un just wanted a little FaceTime. He just wanted a little maybe a hug. He, that's what he re- literally wanted. He he likes that stuff. He he feels like they're the hermit nation because. A big portion of the world has made him that and, and, and given him this moniker, but he wanted to talk about, you know, building railways out of North Korea that can incorporate them into the rest of the established world more. And, you know, now they're testing intercontinental ballistic missiles again. And, yeah, and, you know, railroad ballistic missiles. Well, yeah. Same thing. 
Remember what Kim called a uh, Joe Biden? What, what did he call him? Some uh, something something dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So oh yeah. Yeah. And, and so so did his sister. And you know the thing is, even with Vladimir Putin, Vladimir Putin said he felt like he was getting bullied by NATO and the G seven and the G twenty countries. They were just kind of. He's like, listen, I have the most natural resources when it comes to energy on the planet. Like, why do you not want to do business with me? Like, I'm going to raise the price of oil because you guys are being assholes. And that's literally what he's doing now. Asshole. Thank you. So it's one of those things where Trump era policies didn't always go with the grain, but they always had the best intentions of the American people uh, in mind. And I think that that's one of the things that really the deep state, the administrative state, the establishment on both sides of the aisle are extremely fearful of, especially the radical progressive left, because what are they running on right now? Culture war, climate change. And that's just about it. <laughs> they don't really pronouns. have and, and well pronouns. They don't have a lot going for them. And uh, what we do have going for us is that we're going to be sitting down with Alexis Wilkins, who's talking about how we can make America great again in her latest town hall article. She's also got a new single getting released on April 21st. We'll tease that. She won't sing it today as well in just a bit. I just want to remind everybody, no matter where you're listening today, uh, whatever platform it is, Apple, Spotify, Google, Podbean, iHeart, subscribe to the show, rate it, leave a five-star review, helps out the Steak for Breakfast a lot. Also, social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram, follow us. Hit the notification bell. You'll thank us later. Um, as we're getting ready to wind here and jump in with Alexis Wilkins, we got our last audio clip of the week. I saw Steak for Breakfast enjoyer, great friend of the show, current House candidate for Washington 3, was just with us last week. Mr. Joe Kent jumped on with Tucker Carlson to talk about this absolute disaster and the you know counter narrative that the Biden regime is trying to run in defense of itself for the Afghan withdrawal and retreat. He was on with Tucky last night. Let's hear him. As someone who spent a lot of his life in that region, what do you make of this explanation? Well, first off, Tucker, all the Democrats and Joe Biden are trying to do right now is avoid accountability, shift it back to President Trump. And that's because House Republicans have finally started putting some pressure on the Biden administration, demanding for accountability. So that's the, the knee-jerk reaction. But this is a complete and total disgrace. Look, I would have a lot more respect for the Biden administration if they went after the military industrial complex and the intelligence yeah. community for their lies. This all goes back to when President Trump attempted to get us out of Afghanistan. He fought us to the negotiations table. And that's when the intelligence community and the military industrial complex lied to the American people. They leaked it to yep. the media that, there, that Putin had put bounties on the heads of American soldiers, the whole Russian bounty narrative. And then Congress, in a bipartisan fashion, moved to block Trump from spending money to get us out of Afghanistan in the summer-fall time frame of 2020. We should have been out then. We had a plan. But then Biden came in, and he couldn't do Trump's plan. He wanted to get our troops out on his timeline in September 11th of 2021. And... The military industrial complex continued to lie this time to Joe Biden. You kept hearing those rosy assessments of how the Afghan military was going to hold the ground and they were going to stand and fight for months on end. They lied and Americans died as a result. Someone must be held accountable. The question is, well, first of all, let's just make something abundantly clear. I think all four of us can agree. We need to get fucking Joe Kent in Congress, no matter yes. what. 100%. I love when my cell phone rings and it's him on the other end. He's just such a cool guy. Hey, Alan, it's Joe Kent. Yeah. He's just, we need 10 of Joe Kent in Congress. Just like, listen, J.R. Majewski's probably coming at only, it again, too. Yeah. We need him in there, too. I mean, we saw yeah. people that ran uh, campaigns similar to Joe Kent 
who are just absolute superstars right now. One off the top of my Eli Crane, mm -hmm. former operator, who uh, you know went into Congress right now, and he was one of the twenty. He was one of the six at the very end in regards to the Speaker of the House vote. And you can't open up your social media if you're not following Eli Crane on Instagram or True Social or Twitter and not see that man out there absolutely fucking working for the American people. If he's not sitting in committees, testifying uh, in subcommittees, or being the, you know, substitute speaker of the House, he's out in district working to get legislation passed to make uh, Arizona 3 better again. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where we really can't take for granted the fact that these people might not have hit the mark in the 2020 cycle. We could only hope the America First Trump-endorsed candidate with Trump on the ticket in 2024 will help usher them over the finish line into, uh, you know, Washington, D.C. and up on Capitol Hill in the next one because people like that, they get it. They see the big picture. You might not like all of his politics, maybe not even like his delivery, but when he starts deconstructing the narrative and talks about what the real interests are, our foreign adversaries, the military-industrial complex, the influence of the lobby groups, and how these people are just status quo fine with just letting, oh, yeah, well, I guess we did the best we could. It's water under the bridge anyway. On to the next one. Let's let's get this bill passed to fund a couple more hundred billion dollars to the Ukraine conflict. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's just become to the point where there's going to be very few people who are on this team who are really at the tip of the spear with all of us, the commentators, the politicians, obviously the elected officials, et cetera. But I'd rather them out themselves now, much like Tom Massey and, and Chip Roy coming out and endorsing, you know, Ron DeSantis for president, even though he hasn't formally announced yet because he's waiting until the end of May for the Florida House to uh, see if they can amend that bill to allow him to run without resigning the governorship there. Or are we going to have the people who, like Byron Donalds, who took a big step yesterday. There was a lot of people online like in the last couple of weeks saying, oh, yeah, I can't wait for him to endorse Ron DeSantis. He's from Florida, and he's well-loved. He could win a statewide election. It would be stupid for him to endorse Donald Trump. Boom, picture of him and Donald Trump full endorsement yesterday. So love the work that the congressman's doing down there, and uh, we just got to keep tracking it uh, You know, like we, well, like we do for you guys. The Trump indictment kind of consumed the entire news cycle this week. We're heading into a holiday weekend, but... The Biden administration tried to sneak that Afghan withdrawal report in on you yesterday, so we felt it was very important to deliver it to you here on the show, just so you guys can start to you know do your own research about it. And obviously, it's going to be available online. You can go and read it. If you aren't already subscribed to Raheem Kassam's Substack, he already decoded the entire thing and gave you an excellent step-by-step -step, uh, breakdown of what was in it as well. Uh, we've shared it several times across our social medias. You can go give it a click and, and give him a subscription today as well. As we're getting ready to jump in with Alexis Wilkins, we'll uh, continue to bring you the news as it develops. All right, joining us next on the show today, she is a country singing platinum recording star. She's performed on our show several times. She's in today to talk about her newest op-ed. You can find it in townhall.com. Alexis Wilkins, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. How's everything going with you, ma'am? Everything's good. Everything's good. Music is good. Writing's been good. The music's been great. You sent me that uh, little preview of what you got going on, and uh, I listen to it frequently still. Can't wait for the... You got a preview and you didn't share it with me? Full length. I'll send it to our group chat. How hey, dare listen, you? We don't reveal our sources here on Steak for Breakfast. We, oh. we only have the best guests. And, and naming... <laughs> Speaking of which, we have Alexis with us right now. So you wrote this article. I, I read it a couple times. Great op-ed. Unity, the path forward for Americans. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about the inspiration that got you back to writing and uh, what the premise was for getting this article out to the uh, patriots out there in America? 
Yeah, so I've been writing um, for a long time, honestly, almost as long as I've been doing music. And um, it's always been, obviously, I'm a big fan of America and, and some of the causes that I've always worked with, like uh, supporting veterans and, and some of those things, but kind of writing more in the space of um, op-eds and just political commentary is something that I've been wanting to um, kind of recenter on for a long time. And, and I skirt around it, or not skirt around it, but, you know, I... I I do what I can on social media or have for a long time, especially kind of as this rising uh, turbulence, I guess you could say in the political arena. I just, I think that it's really important um, to, to say how I feel and um, kind of starting, or I guess not starting, but kind of having this article come out as a, as a clear uh, opinion of how I feel is, is what I was aiming for. No, I mean, uh, we need to look, more in this direction, we need voices from outside the beltway, outside of the immediate political spectrum to weigh in. Um, I definitely think you meet that demographic. I mean, you're, you're a country music, music singer by trade. And, uh, you know, lending your voice to the fight that's constant and, and ramping up right now is uh, something we need to make sure that not only our listenership, but, but so many millions of more Americans are hearing it. Uh, as we're moving into an, a very important election season, which I, which is what I want to touch with you. You know, one of the things in this article that you cited was a portion of President Trump's CPAC speech where he said either they win or we win. And if they win, we no longer have a country. I think you mm -hmm. kind of built a, a big portion, if not all of the article, kind of around that narrative and uh, how important uh, it is for us to really be educated on what's coming down the pike here, especially after the indictment that happened last week up in uh, New York. You saw what happened with President Trump in Manhattan. So just looking at all yeah. that situation and then kind of using some of the lines from President Trump's CPAC speech as a muse to get out this article, how is it that you're feeling and, and want to commentate on, you know, the last little bit of the news cycle that's going on surrounding the 45th president? Well, I think that the, the article for me initially, the idea came from the fact that, you know, I love everything positive that I see conservatives do to work together and to have conventions and to have, um, you know, committees and just you see the forward movement and people working together and you get really excited and then you kind of see the, the infighting happen and I get it, you know, we can't be all on the same page about it, but you see the left just marching towards their goal um, just unabashedly and they're not ethical about it and obviously we don't agree with them but you got to hand it to them they get things done they put money in the places that that end up mattering they uh, mess with voting and they influence the youth and they do all of these things where I'm like, okay, if, if we have access to, you know, ambassadors and influenceable youth, you know, can we can we use that to all work together. And, and, you know, my answer on the whole, you know, everyone needing to rally around Trump thing is that that's, that's the only answer right now, you know, kind of splitting it down the center doesn't make any sense to me. And, and I don't think any other candidate would be capable of, of not only reuniting the country, but um, reestablishing a foothold in the landscape of the world and foreign policy and all the issues that are even broader than the New York indictment right now. Oh, you want to know what? You make a lot of sense there. And you even went on to say in your article towards the end, you know, we not can 
we cannot continue to point out the problems without providing solutions and then would say loyalty is not to any individual but to the mission mission first and then the movement which uh you know i i think we all agree on is is the america first movement it's probably the greatest political movement in the history of our of our planet definitely the country for sure and the thing is, is that, you know, by, by saying we can't all put our eggs in one man's basket, it's like figuratively talking about President Trump, but not literally, because when you just look at it on on like a uh, literal sense, at some point, Donald Trump as a politician is going to have an expiration date. And whether or not it's going to be him directly that King makes the next person who's going to lead this movement or they're going to rise from, you know, hopefully the policies we'll be able to enjoy in the next Trump administration that's yet to be yeah. determined, but if we're all fighting, if we all are fighting with the premise of mission first, moving forward, then you would think that almost organically that leader would rise from the ranks of uh, us while we're within battle. Do you agree with that? I do, and I think that, you know, I for me, and I, I and know y'all feel the same way, you know, when I look at it, there is a clear leader. You know, it's, it's not, we're not deciding this like it's so obvious to me and so when we are mission first and and i agree with you that the america verse movement is one of the greatest political movements in history that that's that's what we need to unite on right now yeah populism is uh probably the last bastion of hope that we have for getting this country back on the right track when you've seen all the stuff that's gone on you know the big talking points like the border the stuff that's going on with russia and ukraine obviously the the crime that swept the country and things like that all the way down to the smaller things the huge culture war that's going on in this country the fight to save our children and, and right that ship uh, all the way down to the stuff and the rewriting of history that's being taught in a lot of our public school systems so i definitely think oh, yeah. you, you you make a ton of valid points here and uh you know, we're, we're going to continue to track on, on your work, and every time you put out something new, whether it be a uh, song that's coming down the pike or an article, we'd be glad to have you back on the show. Last thing I want to touch with you on, and I do want to let our listenership get caught up to everything going on with you, how's the uh, touring and writing and recording going, and, and what's next for you, uh, you know, as far as Alexis Wilkins, the country music singer, goes? It's great. Um, so I am releasing uh, an EP on April 21st, and um, the pre-save for that, I believe, is live now, even though we haven't put it up yet. And we're working with Stetson to where um, when you uh, pre-save the EP, you will be able to download a, um instant grab track uh, automatically as of April 12th called Heaven and a Stetson. And so um, we're working with them on that. And so music's been fun and we're going to be touring kind of start of the summer. I think I'm kicking it off headlining in my hometown of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Um, and then we're doing Kansas City and St. Louis um, and then opening on a couple Lee Greenwood dates throughout the summer. That's going to be absolutely amazing, and we'll be tracking that. Uh, Alexis, uh, last thing I want to touch on, and, and if you have anything that you're pushing, promoting, or want to uh, give advocacy to, because I, I think I don't want to lose it in between all the important stuff that we're talking about in this interview today. Some of the veteran work that you do is, you know, for someone, you're very young, and uh, you, you have a lot of, you know, great things ahead of you, but you don't take time to forget about number one, where you come from and, and number two, who are the people that are most important to this country? The advocate work you do for veterans is probably some of the greatest out there in the America first movement. Is there any place that you want to direct our listenership or stuff that you're working on now that, that you're really passionate about? Thank you so much for saying that, that this, the, my veteran, my work with veterans means most to me, um, you know, we do music and we talk about politics and we do these things, but for me, the impact that, you know, 
you can make by by working with some of these veterans organizations um just is the thing that keeps my heart you know going um i'd say you know i work with an organization called warrior rounds and i really love what they do we write songs with veterans to help tell their stories um and it's some um, my favorite work that i get to do and so that's warrior rounds um on everything and warriorrounds.com and then uh, I still have stand going where a portion of the proceeds also go to Warrior Rounds um, and a stand merch as well. And then we will be releasing a song called Country Back, which is the one that you were talking about earlier that you got a little uh, sneak preview of. And we're going to announce some veteran initiatives with that as well. Spoiler alert for our listenership. It's absolute fire. Mm-hmm. And uh, you guys are going to really <laughs> enjoy it when it comes down especially when she comes back on the show and performs it. Alexis, we're going to live link Warrior Round today, also your website so we can see not only your great works, but get directed to your merch and stuff like that. But for anyone that's not already following you on social media, where can we find you? I am Alexis Wilkins on everything. So at Alexis Wilkins on True Social, um, Instagram, Twitter, all of it. Definitely want to be uh, seeing her stories and all the posts that she's putting up. Some of the greatest work from one of the youngest talents in the American First movie. This is country platinum recording star, opinion writer, Alexis Wilkins. Thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent way to end the week. What do you think, Noah? Outstanding. It was great having Antoinette back. Yeah, we're, where the hell? Alan Let's G- get her back more often. <laughs> Alan Jacoby sitting in fourth chair today is always a pleasure. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode of the show and want to hear the now over 225 other editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, FM Player, Podata, Google Podcasts, or even in the Samsung Store. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. And don't forget to download this and like, follow, and share the Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds. Go to all amazing guests today. We had former acting ICE director during the Trump administration. He's the current CEO of the America Project, Mr. Tom Holman, retired Army Colonel Douglas McGregor. Always great hearing from him. And country music superstar, now op-ed writer at Town Hall, Miss Alexis Wilkins. Thanks for coming down and helping make Steak for Breakfast great again. Speaking of which, go out and throw your hard-earned earnings at our partners because when you do that, you help make small American businesses great again as well, namely my pillow. Listen, I can only imagine how Mike Lindell celebrates Easter. It's probably great. <laughs> it's even better when you enter promo code STEAK at checkout. You want pillows. You want coffee. Get it done. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear. The world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment endorsed by Mr. Raheem Kassam himself can only be found at Odyssey. If you're in the studios and you're getting serious, writing music, doing a little recording, maybe even podcasting, get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man Rubs. Did a Man Rub tri-tip the other day. Nice. It was delicious. Just added a little salt, pepper, garlic to the Man Rubs. Gave it a little heat. My family sure enjoyed it. Enter promo code STEAK at checkout here. You get 15% off your order. ManRubs.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Just for, don't forget. Don't mistreat your meat. Very important. My Patriot Cigars. Alan joined us today. He's the CEO of the company. You enter promo code STEAK here. You get 15% off your order. All orders over 100 bucks. Free shipping. And a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. And our newest partner, Farmer Bill's Beef Jerky. 
You enter promo code to take a checkout here. You're getting $5 off of your order. Put a 12-pack together. You're getting free shipping. Go check out all the great stuff they've got going on at FarmerBillsProvisions.com. Upcoming shows, we're entering Hell Week. Not for you guys, but for us. We're going to have a couple bangers next Tuesday and Friday, but it's going to be a little work behind the scenes to throw everything together. Our Tuesday edition of the show, we're going to have former ambassador to Iceland, Jeffrey Gunter Ross, former Trump attorney, current Trump attorney, Alina Haba, John Solomon, investigative reporter, will be here. We'll also sit down with congressmen, George Santos and Kevin Kiley. Friday's edition of the show is going to have Jake Denton from the Heritage Foundation. He's been doing a lot of work up on Capitol Hill stumping to get something done about TikTok. Cash Patel will be here. And so will Congressman Troy Nels. He'll be making his steak for breakfast debut. Jim Nels is sitting in the studio that day as well. On the 18th, Josh Hammer's coming in, and we'll have Trump attorney Jesse Benal joining us for the first time. Liz Harrington's going to be here on the 21st. I believe Eli Crane's going to as well. Uh, we got a couple more guys in the pike just finalizing with us right now. Congressman Hunt, Congressman Gooden. Max Miller will be in before the end of the month. We're still trying to get John Ratcliffe in here as well. So as soon as we finalize with them, we will uh, let you guys know. Friends of the Week, let me put my list right here. It's quite a good one. We can never forget our Truth Social Twitch streamer crew, Beastman420, Siberian Kitten, CSM Master, and Friends. They love Minecraft. They also love sharing Steak for Breakfast content. Some of the other ones who gave some big shares online this week, Brian Lieb, Brendan Dilly, and everybody in the Dilly 300. You guys are out there sharing Steak for Breakfast content. Brendan will be back actually on the 21st as well. That's a programming note that I forgot to add during upcoming shows. NN, Chris Paul, Lauren Eve, Ultra Maga Fran, Heat Up Noah, Ghost Hammer, (laughs) Spoofy, Miguel Fornia, The Average Ape, Roxana Graham, Matthew Jaramillo, and William S. They were caught sharing Steak for Breakfast content this week. And then the meme team, Maga Devil Dog, great talking with him. You might know him as Meatball Slayer on Twitter. Always dropping fire. Glad we're working together. John Hacker LA, Namrock Namrock, Grand Old Memes, Edward Russell, Real Brenda Memes, Machiavelli Memes, The Duke of Memes, The Real Meme DeLorean. Had that Chili's Fajitas Donald Trump sitting in court meme. I loved it. Dumbass Photoshop, The Silent Meme Jordy, Who White Memes, Can Never Forget Him. Madam America and I are working on a little Trump DeSantis Star Wars collab meme movie coming soon. You guys need to rewind that and go follow all of those meme makers. And guys, thanks to remember between now and Tuesday's show. Number one, do your own research. Go deconstruct that Afghan report. Check out Raheem Kassam's Substack. It was a banger. Unlike the report. Number two, start a podcast. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. Donald Trump sitting through an arraignment, not American greatness. The after party, however, was. We don't talk about American greatness enough. We need to start talking about it again. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 228 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back 229 on Tuesday. Jeffrey Gunter Ross, Alina Habba, John Solomon, George Santos, and Kevin Kiley. You're welcome. And on behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Guys, thanks for listening. Have a happy Easter, and take care.
I wanted to keep this from you, Stan. I really wanted to wait until you were older, but you just had to keep asking questions. Why were those other rabbit guys chasing me? We have to be careful when we think somebody's onto us. We are all part of a secret society, Stan. A very ancient, very important society of men who follow the way of the rabbit and protect the secret of the Easter Bunny. We are called the Hair Club for Men. Does Mom know about this? Duh, it's the hair club for men. Chicks wouldn't understand. I don't understand. I belong to a secret society that has been around for thousands of years. Our identities have to be protected. Could, could you take off the ears, please? Stan, you don't seem to understand how serious this is. The secret of Easter that we protect is something that could rock the foundation of the entire world. So what is the secret of Easter? I can't tell you. You have to be allowed into the society first, but... But perhaps it's time.